0: Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's Gaming Group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is hoarding toilet paper like a 15th century farmer hoards wood. This is round six, turn four, and we're going to be reviewing the expansion to railroad revolution, Railroad Evolution. And we're going to be talking about change, in this case, changing people's minds about games. But who might you ask is with me in the studio today? Well, I am joined by a brand new addition to our board game crew. We've mentioned him probably dozens of times on the podcast because he is one of our favorite gamers of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the opinionated gamer, Ben Mandelker. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) Good to see you,
1: Ben. (laughs) This is so surreal. I mean, it's like (laughs) I listen to this podcast every week and now I'm actually like sitting here and I'm hearing your voice doing it. It's like, wow. Wow.
0: Wow, a lot happening! All right, Paul said last week that he reads uh, that he listens to it at two times. How fast do you listen to it? Oh, I listened to it at one time. Seriously? Yeah, because
1: uh, I'm not a maniac. <laughs> and the truth is, I mean, listen, people put out content, and I want to listen to it in all its natural speed. You know. Also, I just never really thought about listening listening to it that fast. But I feel like you will probably hear, dear listeners, that I when I get excited, I start to speak quickly. So the last thing that people need to do is hear me speaking quickly, quickly. So... It becomes I've, a Elvin
0: and the Chipmunks situation? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm advocating <laughs> a 1X, 1x speed
0: on this podcast. Yeah, because if you start speaking fast, then I'll start speaking fast. Before you know it, will be just two people speaking super fast.
1: Cause, and I almost got coffee for this episode. And I was like, no, let's have. <laughs> how about like my debut does not... How about I'm not caffeinated for this moment, you know? Oh, Stick man. Stick into water.
0: Well, as we do when we introduce somebody new, we're just going to do just a quick little getting to know you segment. I'm just going to give the, the the big picture, and I want you to give the smaller picture. Um, if you were to know Ben Mandelker, you would probably know him because he is the co-host of Watch What Crabbins. Watch What Crabbins is a... Massive podcast. I mean, massive. It is about it is it is you and your your co host discussing all of the shows of Bravo. Is that correct? That is correct. We are Bravo fanatics. I mean, I, it's sort of a I, I'm sort
1: of the strange Venn diagram of being a board game fanatic and a Bravo fanatic. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's a that's my other that's the other. This is actually I was gonna say that's my alter ego, but no, that's my ego. This is my alter ego. Is that I'm a board game fiend. Yes, by night you go into the bad cave
0: and you yeah. play, you play board games. I really do. So and this. This thing, this watch for crap is. This is a phenomenon. This is, isn't it? I think it's in the top fifty of of board of of uh, podcasts that are that are on Patreon or whatever. Or?
1: Uh, I mean, listen, I I'm, I'll tell people that that's wonderful. I like thank you for elevating us to that. No, we have been doing um we've been doing it for about eight years. We had our eight year anniversary back in January. Wow! And so it's, it's been, we've been doing it for a very long time. Ronnie Karam is my co host over there. And um, we've been very, very fortunate. We got involved in podcasting sort of pre-serial, which was serial sort of like the benchmark for when podcasting started to become mainstream.
0: So we BS got- BS and AS. What'd you say? BS and AS, before serial and after serial. Yeah, that's when exactly. the, That's year zero.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're, <laughs> that was our, yeah, that's our year zero. So we were, we got in right beforehand. Um, and now, you know, now with podcasts, it's such a thing. You know, you got to like go to companies, you got to pitch and do a whole thing like you were pitching to a movie studio. And we were very fortunate that we never had to do that. We just started recording much like you guys did, which I I totally applaud because I feel like a lot of times that's what people all they have to do is they just have to start recording. So yeah, it's been eight years and, you know, we have built a huge audience over that time and we're super, super fortunate that, you know, we get to do it full time. My understanding
0: is 2.5 million listens a month. That uh, is the last is, figure it is, I saw. It, it is in that area, yes. Wow! <laughs> Holy cow! And you're touring all the time? Like, we, you're going and doing live shows all across the country? I mean, literally almost every state.
1: I mean, we were until, you know, the, until the pandemic, you know, unleashed itself on the globe. And now we just had to cancel our, we had to cancel our, not cancel, postpone our uh, March and April shows. Hopefully nothing beyond that. But other, other than that, yeah, we're... We're I, flinging I, ourselves out there.
0: Uh, what are you talking about? I was in a medically induced coma for three weeks, oh. uh, and uh, you know, for the weight loss bet, that was the the, the, oh. way, to, the way to do it. So, oh yeah, So
1: something happened. What, um, what? You know, just just I, all I've got to say is I just don't have any spicy food
0: because you might have some issues with the toilet paper. <laughs> all right. Uh, in addition to watch what Crappens, then actually probably as an addendum to watch what Crappens, Ben created this thing. You you just have to watch it. How many episodes are you you on on YouTube? For this? Um, it's nine episodes episodes so far i'm actively working on the 10th it is called the real housewares of kitchen island and it is the most adorable you you wrote it you created it you do all the voice acting you do all the animation it is the cutest funniest little thing that is just all it is is you know Three minutes each, two and a half, three minutes each. And it is just wall-to-wall puns and references (laughs) to, I guess, New York, right? Real Real Housewives Housewives of of New York in particular.
1: Yeah. I mean, originally, I was going to do it for like a bunch of different Housewives. But I was like, you know, the Real Housewives of New York is so amazing. And if anything I can impart to – if I can bring some bravo to the board game audience, please watch (laughs) Real Housewives of New York. It's amazing. Even if you don't think – even if you are one of those people that says, why would I watch that show? It's just a bunch of ladies yelling at each other. Trust me on this, everyone. It is amazing entertainment. Hey, there's I will a Vassar girl, Vassar
0: girl on that show.
1: Yeah, Aviva Drescher. That's right. She went to Vassar. She went to law school, and she knows what she's talking about. Trey, <laughs> and you know what? That's that's sort of a paraphrase of hers. But um, Trey and I, Trey and I both went there. So, oh wow! I I see now. that this, this is finally this is finally the crossover moment that we need. The yes. Aviva Drescher <laughs> crossover moment. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that a bunch of the Crappens listeners have come to sample this episode. So do you have any Aviva
0: Drescher stories? Sadly, I do not. I did not know her. Um, wow. She came, That's what uh, she came the audience slightly after my time and I believe after Trey's time as as well. She came after your time, but I think she was before her time on Bravo, unfortunately. Oh she is. I, I will say this. Were, there are um, Vassar alumni groups and like Facebook groups and Facebook friends and stuff like that. And her name does not come up infrequently. Okay, good. In terms of oh my god, oh my god, illustrious alumni. Can't we have another ambassador than <laughs> <laughs> the Viva is, t- is she becoming the face of that? We just we just have to get people people out there.
1: You zing. need a, you need another Vassar reality star. We can make it happen, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, but thank you though about the the Real Housewares because I the reason why I started making that. Is because I actually am a writer. That's why I came out to LA to do. I came out to be originally a TV writer, and then I started finding success on the feature front, and then I went back to TV. And like across the board, you've never seen any of my stuff because um, everything I've ever I've ever been hired to do would get sort of like all the way would get as far as it could go before just dying out for some strange Hollywood reason. Like sure. there either the writer strike or I had something. That uh, I had something that McGee was attached to, and then he started doing Terminator, so I had to add the Terminator to compete with, you know, and like it was always something. And I just got to a point where, like, a- about a year and a half ago, I was like, "Why am I? Why am I doing this song and dance for all these development executives? Mm-hmm. You know, trying to prove that I'm funny, that I that I can make good content. Um, when I here, I have this great podcast, and we're going out and we're we're doing these live shows." Why should I have to keep on proving myself to these people who are going to be out of a job in a week anyway? <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'm going to teach myself animation, and I'm just going to write these five little, you know, these five minute things, and you know, this way I can control everything from beginning to the end and get it directly out to an audience. So it was a very liberating experience. For Make me. it
0: yourself. That's yeah. awesome. I, it is. It's weird that um, of the you and me, yeah, and Maddie. And Dimitri and Paul, all of us are feature writers. Right. When in in the WGA, when you count up all of the writers, it's like eight to one television writers because there's Mm -hmm. a lot more jobs and a lot more work. Yeah. But feature, what you're describing is not at all unusual for feature writers. It is completely the norm is you're writing 10 scripts. You're working for 10 years in the hopes that one of them is going to get made. It's just Mm -hmm. it's just such a crapshoot. Whereas television, there's just more of the you write it and four weeks later it's on the air.
1: Well, yeah, I mean I wish that were the case too because I definitely I mean I came out here to be a TV writer and and I like I said I sort of moved into features for a few years mm. but I came back to TV and TV is actually a little bit more my forte I think but um man it's just it's still it's hard to it's hard to break through sometimes and uh, but you know what that's why at the end of the day podcasting has allowed me the freedom to be say you know I'm going to write what I want to write yeah and I'm going to and I'm going to animate it and put it out there and you know what that that's the way it'll be, dude. That's awesome. I feel that's awesome. empowered. What an yeah. empowering morning.
0: Now you just got to tell us one more thing. You got to tell us uh, how did you get into board games? What, what what's your board game genesis?
1: Well, the board game genesis. It happened in 2014, and mm-hmm. uh, I went. My my friend Joe was having a bachelor party up mm-hmm. in Lake Tahoe. It had a cabin, and so it was about ten of us, and we all went up to this cabin, and there was beer pong and beer pong, and I mean. <laughs> I don't remember really what else there was. But I, and I love beer pong. I'm not saying that with any sort of derisive way. I love beer pong. Um, but my friend Isaac brought a copy of The Settlers of Catan. And he's like, do you want to play this? I was like, okay, sure. I like games. Why not? And I played Settlers of Catan. And it was like nothing I'd ever played before. And I could... Not believe how fun it was. I wanted to play again immediately, and I just wanted to play it all weekend long. And when I went, when I went, when I when I got into bed that night, I went on, I went online, and I was like, I'm I'm the sort of person that when I see something that interests me, I just need to consume all the media about it. Sure. So then I went online and I saw videos. I saw a table, uh, Will Wheaton's show, Tabletop that he used to have. Um, well, and, Wheaton is a friend. I played
0: games in his house.
1: Many oh, times. well, he, he is an instrumental figure here because I watched that, and then all of a sudden I saw there were all these other videos. There was Carcassonne and Pandemic and all these all these games, and I so I started f- following that, and then I was like, "Well, Catan was so fun. Well, I want to play this game too, and I want to play that game." And then I just there was
0: a slippery slope, and from there, I'm now here. Wow. So, did you know before that Catan? Did you know you had a game brain? Um. I,
1: I well, I I I don't think I knew, but I wouldn't. It did not catch me by surprise. You know, I I still play fantasy football. Sure, I'm very into fantasy football, so I like that. Video games, I was always into. I liked board games as a kid. I've always liked puzzles and things like that. I, my favorite video games were ones where there's a big puzzle component. You know, I'm, I'm less into like a hey, shoot 'em up and more into like a zelda where there's like a big puzzle puzzle yeah so i've always enjoyed puzzling things out i've always enjoyed the spirit of the game so uh (laughs) it
0: doesn't surprise me that then i got hooked relentlessly dude that's awesome let's get to it because we got some stuff to talk about yes let's get to game night
1: Game night. It's so extra. It is. <laughs> See, I, I I just imagine listeners thinking that game night, we are all in some like big stony fortress with candelabras, you know, <laughs> giant portraits of like family members from 100 years ago.
0: No, health and safety came and told us we can't have the candelabras anymore. So unfortunately, we use gas lamps. But uh, yes, that's basically it. And it's not really a fortress so much as a basement with rough-hewn walls. But, you know, things like that. You know, we, we gotta have we gotta have some purpose for the room the rest of the week. So, yes. dungeon slash yeah, game no, game room. I applaud. I applaud the extraness of that stinger. Is <laughs> is great. <laughs> well, I guess we should we should we should say we are uh, we are openly canvassing if anybody has any uh, music they want to throw our way and uh, and throw up. We are more than welcoming to that sort of stuff. Maybe you'll hear your song on our show on Tuesday. We had a game night where we played. Uh, D-Mocker and Railroad Evolution, which is the game we're going to be reviewing today. So, without spoiling too much, you were doing—you were running the uh, the Evolution game, uh, the Railroad yes. Evolution game. H- how did it go? Um,
1: I think it went pretty well. Um, there was well, I won't spoil anything, but I think it went pretty well. Overall, I mean, there were no fights. There was a
0: person that that, that uh, didn't really care for the game. There so was,
1: yeah, I was going to say it, it did not. One person did not care for it, but you know, I'll talk about that
0: during the review. Done. All right, Democker. Uh, this was a four-player game of the new version of Democker, which mm-hmm. should have its own separate entry because it is it is a, very much a similar game, very, but it's different enough that it should have its own entry. How do I put this? You can you can say it. Be honest. I'm starting to like it. Good. I like that. I like that you like it. I'm starting to like it. I I am seeing I'm seeing the wisdom in some of the decisions. Mm. I still miss the original. Uh, it's right. probably it's still no matter what it's probably going to be a sticking point that you cannot play the original full version of Mocker with this new set. Right, that's probably going to be an issue, because you are taking a very heavy game that is unbelievably amazing and immersive for four plus hours, and you're trying to turn it into a medium heavy game that plays in three and a half to four four hours, like you're shaving an hour or hour and a half off mm-hmm. of off of the time. Some people are going to want to play that 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 longer game and and why can't you, you know, it, they could have probably done it. Maybe like a modules so that way you could like do the shorter game and
1: the longer game. Something like that maybe. I don't know. I mean, I definitely had FOMO watching you guys a little bit. I'm not going to lie because um you guys looked like you were having a lot of fun over there on on your side of the table. There were a lot there's a lot of jokes going on. There was a lot of banter. I always feel like those are good signs with the, with
0: the game. There's a reason it's it's my number one game of all time. It is the most it, it, there are some games when you play it for 5 hours and you're like wow that was that was a slog mhm or not even slog that was great but i'm drained yeah Mocker is one of those games that i get so lost in that i don't i check my watch and i'm expecting it to be 11 and it's 1am I love uh, I love
1: that in a game. Yeah, I love that. Me too. That's why when people say, oh, my God, this game is like when people talk about they're afraid of a game being long, I always feel like time is a little immaterial when it comes to certain games because when certain games, your brain is going so fast and so hard and you're so concerned about so many other things and you're also just having so much fun. You just don't even care. In fact, I will probably circle
0: back to this on our games on the brain segment. Okay. With the game, the game that's on my brain. Interesting. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, maybe what should be on the side of the box instead of how long it takes to play, how long does it feel like? Yeah. How long <laughs> does it feel like? That's a, This game feels like 30 minutes. You'll be playing it for two hours. That's a great game. I love that. I know. I th- I think that's such a great concept for timing. I love that. <laughs> I'm super into it. Time is subjective. Uh, and then on Friday night... Oh, I should... One more thing about Mocker. Jesse, this is his second play because he's the one who wants to review this game. He is obsessed.
1: He is. In fact, it's his his obsession and seeing his obsession is really making me want to play it. You know, the first time... That you guys busted out this copy that I saw was at Strategicon. Yes, and I didn't play because I had already set up. I was already playing the Deluvia Project at another table. That's right. And then, um, and then this time I was doing Railroad Evolution. Sure. Um, both times I was like, "Oh yeah, that'd be fun to check out." But now I actually really want to play it.
0: Now it's 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 gone up in my interest. That's awesome. We'll, we'll 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 figure out a way to make that happen, even in our current difficult times, which I'm about to talk about. But oh yeah, um, for me. I need Jesse and uh, other people to play the original as well. So when we talk about the new D-Locker, mm-hmm. I'm not the only one that has a point of reference to to what what this isn't as opposed to what it is. But I am really warming to what it is. Okay, good. And that'll be really interesting to see. Is I wonder if it's going to be a case of
1: uh, the first one you play is the one you like the most, right? Because maybe Jesse might not like the original one because
0: he's used to the, the, the The way this this one works it very well could be it could be i mean for me it 's definitely a matter of I am not scared of heavier yeah so if it's if it 's deeper and and you know more nuanced and there 's more decisions that's, that's that 's something that 's going to yeah work for me almost all the time i mean. Everybody has their limits, right? Yeah. You like Twilight Imperium. I don't understand. I I, I do like it. I do. I li- I'm, I'm
1: happy to I'm happy to to talk about that if, if you need me. I, <laughs> I actually really like Twilight <laughs> Imperium. I'm surprised at how much I did I did like it. Um I just find it to be that's another game where I think that it goes by pretty quickly for me even though it's about 12 hours long. I really enjoy it. I I, I don't know why. I don't know why I enjoy that more than Eclipse and I I'm the sort of person where I like to really understand why I feel certain ways. Like why is it that Ecl- Twilight Imperium gives me so much more joy than Eclipse does? And Eclipse is on paper, it's still a fun game and I still enjoy it, you know, and I play it on the iPad. But it always is like a perfectly fine experience to me. The last, <laughs> the last game was a bit frustrating. But that's, yeah. that was, you know, that I have to blame myself sometimes. And, and I had poor play. <laughs>
0: but <laughs> the uh, yeah. Forbidden Stars are the best, by the way. Twilight most. Imperium, for me, if, if the felt like on the box was, was, was being accurate, 36 hours. Yeah. Felt like 36 hours. Wow. And for you it would probably be 6 hours, right? That's why yes, we can't that's yeah. why we can't put it on the side of the box unfortunately. That's uh, yeah. why our our plan is ruined. Yeah, exactly. Uh. We had no game night on Friday. Mm-hmm. We had no game night. I pulled it because of the situation that's going on right now. COVID-19, the coronavirus. I don't think I'm I'm spoiling anything for anybody. Uh, is out there and around and we all have to make decisions as to how we're going to deal with this, but it certainly seems that All of the the experts, all of the epidemiologists, all of those people say that social isolation is the number one thing we can do to reduce the ramp up of this to flatten the curve is the is the phrase that people are using the idea being that if uh, if this slams into us super hard. We are going to overwhelm our medical system, and there are going to be a lot of people that are dying because there literally are no ventilators, there are no beds, there are no places in, in ICUs, and that would be a true disaster. We're talking about possibly up to just the United States alone, a million people that may not need to die if we can slow down the progression of this and how fast it gets out to people. So schools in Los Angeles, all the schools have, have closed. Um, the Disneyland is closed. Broadway in New York, is, uh, all the shows have closed. Everything, yeah. I think we're taking a, a holiday. I think we're taking yeah. a, a sabbatical as a nation, which our nation is not used to doing.
1: No, it's, it is actually a little odd. I, I mean, I think the upside is that there could be something really... Uh, actually, I'm this is actually couched in a lot of privilege. But I was going to say, th- there is something nice about being, saying, listen, just going to stay in and just, uh, you know, stay in, work from home, cook all my meals, etc. There is something sort of like nice about not having to go out and see people or deal with social obligations because they actually take up so much more time than you realize. But that's, like I said, that is really couched in privilege because there are a lot of people who can't afford to stay home and and just like... Not be at work, so I really feel for for people whose uh jobs are going to be in danger and and hopefully
0: this will pass soon enough um, or people that or people that are forced to continue to work in a, yeah. an increasingly dangerous climate. I mean that's when the schools closed, we knew that there were people in our school that had parents that had both of them working and both of them had to work they were mm-hmm. there was no sick leave there was nothing like that that was that was going on for them and they're in a real uh, they're in a real real bind so yeah. you know if you feel led to write your congressman write your senator and say hey we've got to do something you know we've we've talked about the social safety net we've talked about how it's in disrepair it's really really crucial that we come up with some sort of fix right now Uh, for this nation. Other nations might be weathering this better. I don't really know. I can't speak to that. Yeah.
1: Well, hopefully this will all... Hopefully it'll pass soon enough because it's really... It's just... It's really unpleasant. I mean, the the good news is, um, you know, life is still going on. You know, like, sometimes you do have to have some perspective. There's only... It's like... It's not like zombie apocalypse out there that the moment you step outside you are infected no. but, so, but 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 the, the, the funny part is that when you are home and quarantined and you have like you know as, as you are socially isolating yourself you are also I'm finding myself prone to reading headline after headline so that when I do go outside I'm like I want to wrap myself up in garbage bags and just you know <laughs> like avoid everything and it's like It'll be fine, but but like you said, it's more about just slowing the rate that this happens, so that way, yeah. hospitals and medical professionals can deal with everyone, and we
0: can get through it. And to that end, we have suspended our game nights. Now, uh, now most of the recommendations are no groups larger than a hundred or no groups larger than fifty. Yeah. Our our groups, you know, we average probably around ten people a night. Mm-hmm. But we decided that you know what let's let's be on let's be ahead of this let's yeah. let's do it the there's, the right way and there's so much touching of things like you touch this and that and that and there's
1: a dice and the, this and a card and a and a piece and a chit and a piece so like you know it's ten people but I would I would argue that maybe the the rate of like touching communal things is much yeah.
0: higher oh yeah transmission yeah I mean Dimitri just sneezes on people flat yeah. out just yeah. right. Right next to you, like an inch away. When he licked the board the other day, I was like, well, that's not even called for. It shouldn't have been right. No. It should, and somebody should have called him out on it. and But we didn't because we're all afraid of him. Yeah. but uh, <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> um, so I, I have a suggestion. And this is what we're going to be doing here at Game Brand. Yesterday, Maddie and I played a game of... Um, clans of caledonia on tabletop simulator mm-hmm. there is also a, a website called uh, tabletopia so tabletop simulator costs 20 bucks on steam per month oh. no period oh just to own oh just it's, to own Is steam
1: uh, can you use steam on a mac or is that a yes. pc oh.
0: oh yeah you can use it on everything wow oh yeah i didn't know that I, for some reason i thought it was pc only all See? right so check this out so i'm going to talk about tabletopia first tabletopia is free Flat out free. Just get it, and you can play any game that isn't premium.
1: Mm. The
0: number of premium games on that are incredibly small. Let me tell you some of the games that Tabletopia has Clans of Caledonia, Lisboa, Terra Mystica, Viticulture, Imperial Settlers, The Gallerist, Railways Vi- of the World, Village, Railways of the World, Keyflower, Kanban EV, Wingspan, Paladins of the West Kingdom, On Mars, Barrage. There are tons and tons of games. The implementation is very, very good. You can Skype with your friends and play the game, and basically have a game night without creating a situation where people are getting together when when they don't really have to be. Wow! Almost as good as the real experience. And you did that last night? Um, yeah, going- yeah, yesterday I did. I did actually tabletop simulator with mm-hmm. Matt, which I'm gonna which I'm gonna talk about now. But yeah, Matt and I just played a, a two player. Um, castles of burgundy we may start streaming them or we may start uh, recording mm-hmm. them and, and putting them up on youtube mm-hmm. because it works very well it was it was highly successful um there weren't really any we could have we did that game as a test and we didn't even need to we could have put that up it was wow. it worked it worked really really well tabletop simulator cost 20 bucks negative is it cost 20 bucks positive is almost every game is on there it's crazy. Now, oh. when you buy it, you're going to see that it has DLCs, right? It has, okay, with Tabletop Simulator, you can play this, 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 and this. And it's got like about 20, 30 games on it, maybe 40, mm-hmm. maybe 40. Those games cost like 7 bucks each. And when I look at the titles, I am not impressed. I'm not like, oh. And so Matt was like, we should play on Tabletop Simulator. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not even on Tabletop Simulator. They only have like these eight games. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Almost every game is on there. Here's what you do. So after you bought the game and and downloaded it, when you get to the page where it says press play to play that game, go over to a tab that says workshop. Click on workshop, and then in the little little, uh, search box, type any game you want to play. And it will be people's mods. People have made mods so that almost every game is playable. And there are, I mean, for Castles of Burgundy, there were... 10 mods that that did it? Wow. Is this like so you you just download one of the one of the games? One of the seven dollar games is that we were saying? No, no, no. no you t- don't download any of the seven dollar games. You just so, pay twenty bucks for the thing. And then you find the workshop tab. And then you find the workshop tab, and everything in the workshop tab is absolutely free. You can play. I looked That's it up. I, I looked it up. There's very few games that they don't have. And the implementation. I mean, these people have put in put in work. Like each person, as sort of a labor of love, has scanned in the the, the pieces and stuff wow. like that. Um, it, it is pretty easy to use, pretty easy to play. You know, just have the you know have the rule book ready and accessible so that you can follow the rules because it's not it's not it's not uh, automating a, yeah. a lot it'll you know you it'll do things like roll the dice you press an, you highlight the dice and press an r and it rolls the dice right you mm-hmm. click on a stack of uh, cards or tiles or whatever and press press s and it'll shuffle them Right. And so it'll do all that stuff. But sort it doesn't
1: have any of the it doesn't have any of the infrastructure to make sure that rules are followed correctly, right? It's it's literally a simulator where there's a board and dice and cards and you have to be in charge of moving things around and updating exactly, the game
0: state, right? Exactly like actually playing a board game. Yeah. Right. Because when you actually play a board game, your 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 score tracker doesn't move by itself. You have to move it.
1: Yeah because there are other sites uh I believe and yep. Board Game Arena where it is automated you can, and on those on those sites cuz I was looking into them last night cuz my friends are also we're now talking about doing some virtual uh, game nights and so uh you can play games like Madeira and Nippon mm-hmm. um Castle of Burgundy, Concordia, like just tons of games also, Terra Mystica, Clans of Caledonia, sure. where those are all there, the systems are automated for you. So you can just sort of, when it's your turn, it'll say, these are the things that you can do. Um, so, so I think it's also good to check those out if you don't feel, if you want to have some of the, the luxuries of an online implementation of course, sure. certain things are sort of some of the busy work is taken care of for you. But that's great about Tabletop Simulator. I've got to check that out now. Wow. Totally,
0: yeah, I'm really excited. Well, you you have to check it out because I want to play some games with oh, you yeah. during the during the quarantine. During oh
1: my god, I'm that's I'm so excited. Quarantine game day, and also by the way. Um, there is an online implementation of Food Chain Magnate, which you probably know about. Oh yes,
0: yes. So the the super like cheap, low rent website that barely yes. barely does the game. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. So I haven't done that yet, but but I've talked about it with some friends that I think maybe we might start that up this weekend.
0: Would it shock you if you if I told you that I have played on that website? I, you know,
1: it would not shock me at all. <laughs> it would not. In fact, I would have been a little upset if you hadn't. <laughs> I mean, I knew that I wasn't bringing any real fresh news to you, but I just wanted to remind the audience that there is that stuff
0: yes not only that but but it's also uh it it also has antiquity which Mm -hmm. trey and matt and i tried to play as three-player antiquity and they stopped um they stopped developing that game quite a while ago and so it's it's unplayable it's actually oh okay super buggy but now that i know that i can play it on tabletop simulator yeah when matt said let's do a practice game and let's see what we can do What, what, what do you want to play and my first thing was antiquity. Uh-huh, okay, and he was like, "Give me a break." <laughs> he's like, "I'm," he's like, "I'm so stressed out because of all this stuff that's going on. Let's play something just a little bit simpler that we that, that we both know." And I'm like, "Okay, well, how about now?"
1: The question is whether or not Forbidden Stars is on Tabletop Simulator because that would be pretty amazing, considering that
0: that's totally inaccessible for anyone, quarantine yeah. or not. Uh, there are definitely games that are that are super hard to find that are on there. 1822, for instance, wow. the the grail of all 18xx games that you cannot find, you can play there. Wow. Interesting, huh? Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, that's about it for that. Let's get to the news. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Of South All the tips and clippers and C. Let's go to press. We are way over time, so let's see if we can move through this with some okay. alac- alacrity. <laughs> uh, story of my life. Uh, that's okay. Um, first bit of news is about a game called Verdun Steel Inferno. This is a two-player card-driven war game uh, about the Battle of Verdun in World War One. And there's a famous World War cartoonist named Tardy, and his art is on every card. And if you go look at this on Kickstarter, it's got. Uh, oh shoot, it may be over by the time you guys read this. So I'll just keep it quick if you check it out it may have already ended but maybe they'll open it up again later it is gorgeous implementation if you ever played a game called the grizzled Mm -hmm. stunning stunning combination of art and theme this is very much the same just in a bigger game in an actual block war game that plays very light and very interesting i highly recommend you check it out Uh, next up portal games has made a couple announcements one thing is Robinson Crusoe. It was a very popular game from uh, from a few years ago. Did you ever? Did you ever play Robinson Crusoe? I did. I, t- I played it a long time ago. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a it's story good. game, basically. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. Almost a choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the designer is one of our favorites, Ignace Chevichek, uh-huh. uh, the, the the Czech designer who who does pretty amazing things. They put together a thing called the Treasure Chest. It's going to be coming out at. Essen this coming year and treasure chest is going to include all of the promos all of the little extras it's basically going to be a blinged out copy of robinson crusoe with all of the add-ons that you could possibly have for the game and listen if you like that kind of game if you like that story game where okay do i gather firewood or do i go explore inland or do i Mm. go seek out this or do i go seek out that um, it reminds me of Zork and those like text, oh my God. text adventure games yeah. way back in the day. Wow. I remember playing that. I, I, I remember
1: being in Boston at someone's house in Boston. I'm not even from Boston, but I just remember being in Boston playing Zork on a Wang computer. Do you remember <laughs> Wang computers? <laughs> yeah. I had the Apple IIe back oh, then, yeah. like, like oh, the yeah. second Apple. Oh, I love that. Like the pre-Macintosh Apple. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those are the days. Those text-based games. I used to actually design them on BASIC. I taught myself BASIC because I used to get the 321 Contact magazine, and they would have a section in there where it says, just enter in all this code, and you can have a game where you can make planets. So I literally taught myself BASIC from Contact magazine and started creating Zork-type games that didn't really make sense, but... And sorry, he- I, just, I just really had like a... a, a just, really went back in time there for a moment.
0: And that was the beginning of No Man's Sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's being my game brand. Portal Games has a second game coming out. It is called Million Dollar Script. Million Dollar Script is a party game, three to 10 players, age 14 and up. And the idea is it's very much, uh, there are a lot of games that are in the style of um, apples to apples, mm-hmm. by which we mean not really a game because what you're doing is, is you're having two people or or two competing teams that are making something up and somebody is judging which is better. Right. And in this case, though, I don't know, maybe it's it's just because of the profession that we're in, but it does seem kind of fun where you're being given these elements and you have to pitch a movie idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Two studio execs, and it seems like it can be pretty zany and and and, and pretty fun as far as that kind right. of game goes. Because it's like rival team,
1: rival pitches, but then there's going to be multiple pitches that was, that's going to tell an, an overall story, right? Yes. So it's actually very accurate to the process. I mean, you know, just get a patchwork of, of writers and an executive who's like, I guess I'll have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And the next thing you know, you have
0: you know Hudson Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare say a bad thing about Hudson. I Hawk. wasn't.
1: I. You know what? I. I feel bad because I actually have never seen Hudson Hawk, and I just Hudson Hawk shamed. Okay, you would need Hawk. to watch
0: Hudson Hawk immediately. It was all just right?
1: the first movie that could come to, that came to my mind at it that is, moment. It
0: is. It's not. It's. It's delightfully, wonderfully odd. Okay. All right. It is. Is it good? No, I couldn't say that. But it's 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 in that showgirls vein where they go for it so hard that you just have to say have to admire it. Wow, that's kind of crazy and, and like and like weirdly they went all the way through the infinity of bad mm-hmm. onto the good side, right? Yeah. They they went they went th- through infinity the other side of it. Uh, so well. Um, sure. I, I apologize to all the Hudson Hawk fans out
1: there. It was the first is the first sort of like bomb I could think of, which is odd. I thought like there was one very recently and I just can't cats. Oh, that would cats. have been so
0: perfect. That would have been so good. Sorry. Interesting. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I may be the only Hudson Hawk fan. I know. <laughs> I, I, as soon as I got thing. through like just saying Hudson, I was like, yeah, I guarantee you, Tom's would be like, I worked on that movie or something like that. <laughs> I did not. I had nothing to do with the writing of that movie, but I would have been very happy if I did. Next up, PAX Premier. PAX Premier is doing a reprint. People said we couldn't get enough of it. There are 12 days to go on the Kickstarter, and the PAX Premier 2nd edition is virtually exactly the same as the... Oh, I'm sorry. The reprint is almost exactly the same as the 2nd edition. The only differences are there were some uh, typos on a few cards, and that has been cleared up. And those leader discs, those uh, kind of not the easiest in the world to see leader discs, no longer are they laser cut. They've done it much more simple. They've done a wood print on the wooden discs, mm. which supposedly should should look clearer, look better, and be a lot cheaper to produce. So other than that, it's exactly the same, Pax Premier. You've heard us talk many, many times. It was mm-hmm. Maddie's number one game of 2019. Crazy. Number one. Wow. That's 20th. crazy. I can't...
1: I, I so like I'm a little bit of a Pax Premier hipster in that I I have only played the first edition, not the second edition. But um, wow, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I I liked it, but I I would never put it above Barrage ever ever
0: ever ever. Listen, I didn't even put it on my list because it was supposed to be new games, and technically it's not a new game. But yeah. Maddie's point of view is that it's so different that it is a new game. So you're gonna Maybe have I to probably try it. try it. I mean, it has a piece of cloth. I really like it. I like it, it looks. It looks very pretty. I, I like that. Done. Next up, uh, there is a game called Stick'Em that's coming out. Uh, the first thing, the first reason I'm talking about this is because Capstone Games is putting it out. And I don't think that there is a game publisher that has been on the run that Capstone is on. Mm-hmm. Maybe in gaming history. I, wow. I can't think of any publisher that has put out more amazing games in a row than they have without without any real miss.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kind of crazy.
0: Fair. This is a very different game than most of what they put out. This is a super light game. It is a card game. It is a trick-taking game. Its original title back in, I think it was from 93 or something. I remember playing it when I first started getting back Mm. into Euro games, like way back, like 20 years ago is when I was playing it, or 15 years ago, something like that. Um, And the original title was... Hudson Hawk, the card game. (laughs) Stickle, 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 stickle. And basically, we're calling it stickle. And the idea is you get a hand of cards, five different colors, and the five different colors are the five different suits. Numbers go from zero all the way up to 14 or 15 or something like that. And the first thing you do each round is you you put one card face down in front of you, and then everybody flips it over. That's your pain color. Mm Mm-hmm. If you win tricks of that pain color, all of those, all the numbers on those are negative points. Okay. If you win the other tricks, right, if you win the other colors, each card of a different color is worth one and only one point. Okay. So the idea is don't take tricks of your pain color, but everyone knows what your pain color is, so they're trying to stick you. When a- this, this sounds like a psychological evaluation,
1: by the way. <laughs> oh, it is.
0: It is. It's, it's sort of a predecessor to teach you in a lot of ways. It has yeah. a lot of. It's, 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 I remember it very fondly. I haven't mm-hmm. played it in 15 years, probably, but I remember it quite fondly. I was like, wow, this is awesome. I remember having a wonderful, wonderful time playing this game every time I have. So. You might need to check this out.
1: Yeah, I, I read the little write-up on Board Game Geek, and um, the author was at first I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." They're doing a light card game, but by the time I got through the the write-up, I was like, "You know what? This looks incredibly fun." And I have um, my, a bunch of my friends right now. We're super into Six Nips, and so this seems go. like it would be a perfect sort of next, not next step, but but a perfect complement to something like Six Nips, a, a light card game. With a lot of sort of funky interaction.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that this is more strategic. Yeah,
1: Sixtim does a little bit of like a Wild West craziness, but that's what's sort of fun about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, I would say 610 is, is, a, is a throw it around, yeah. mess around and try to do your best managing yeah. chaos game. Exactly. Whereas Stick'Em is definitely more of a knife fight in a phone booth. It's more like I have four cards in my hand. Mm-hmm. Three of them are instant death. Can I figure out which one isn't mm-hmm. based on the information that I have? Right, it's it, it's it's very it's strategic, but in a fun sort of fast way. Yeah, it looks like a blast. Have you ever played Teachu? You
1: know what? I, in case you couldn't tell from my, it's, I've been. am <laughs> thinking
0: Either you want, not.
1: <laughs> no, I actually own it. Um, I've been wanting to play it. Every time I'm like ready to play it, you know I, I bone up on the rules. I even have the app. I played the app because the rules I know are like I feel like before the first time you've played and like you've actually like processed the rules, um, they come for some reason they're oddly um, they're oddly difficult. Um, but I also feel like I, I sense that once you play it for the first time, you're like oh okay I get it because I've heard that teach you is the sort of game you just sort of play it all night and it's just the most fun
0: ever. Yes, it's amazing. I can't wait to play it. My wife's favorite game by a country mile. And when you – the way I teach it, the, the best way to teach it is first don't play with the four special cards and just play a regular round. No no teacher scoring, no nothing, just regular scoring mm-hmm. so that you learn how you can play a single card and everyone has to follow the single card or a mm-hmm. pair and everyone has to follow the pair and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Then the second round, you add in the – you can bet 100 points that you're going to go out first. And if you mm-hmm. go out first, here's what happens. And if you're the last one without cards, here's what happens. And then the third round, you play with the four special cards, and I, I think I found that that's the best way to because it is. It's just, you're you're absolutely right. There's a surprising uh, amount of rule density for a card game, but if you teach it in those three packets, I found it works pretty okay, well. Okay, thank you. Because I'm, I, I really really want to play it very badly, dude. Uh, Let's let's get it going on tabletop simulator or something like that. Let's, okay, let's find, uh, You know what? I think there are actually places uh, that uh, uh, online that do it uh, automated. Uh, Brett Spiewelt or something like that. Okay, can do it. Um, next up, Candice Harris, who is uh, one of our board game crew. She, She's lovely. She is amazing, isn't she? Oh my goodness! I mean, I, I only just met her. I actually
1: recognized her because she does the videos on Board Game Geek for Game Night, and uh, I had I when she came in, I was like, oh, you're from you're from those videos. Uh, and she is
0: just a delight. Candace really is. We we, we very much enjoy her company. She went to Gamma mm-hmm. this last week and did a lot of reporting for The Geek. She did some uh, videos, but she also did this, uh, this thing in the news. She wrote up an article that's very interesting to us. She wrote that there is going to be a new edition or a sequel to Twilight Struggle called Twilight Struggle, Red Sea, Conflict in the Horn of Africa. This is going to be a two-player card-driven game, just like the regular uh, Twilight Struggle, but it's going to play quick. It's going to play in about you know, the, it's described as a lunchtime game. Mm. Looking at it, it looks like there are very one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe maybe eleven or twelve different territories to to control. So the map is very condensed. It looks it looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I very much look forward to checking that out. Um, there is no news as to when this is coming out, so this is seems to be in a very advanced teaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all this is GMT games. GMT is the one that puts this out. They're also doing a game called Conquest and Consequence. Uh, it is a distant cousin of Triumph and Tragedy, which I have never played. But there's this weird, there's this whole subculture of war game adjacent, okay, which is sort of like not qu- sort of. Euro gamers could play this and enjoy themselves without feeling totally over war game overwhelmed. Okay, uh, Triumph and Tragedy is one of those games. It's a really, really interesting game that plays perfectly in th- with three players, which is another rare thing. It's designed for three players specifically. Um, Churchill is another one of those that I can think of that is Maria. Maria very good yes another one
1: along with teach you, that is on my wall of shame just I was so happy that I got my copy of Maria two years ago
0: and I still have not played it well you know what I don't even have Maria because I, I slightly prefer Friedrich which just got re-released yes it did yes it did so we're gonna have, we're putting up a list of things you and I are gonna have to play together because <laughs> I know I, I am dying to find people to play Friedrich
1: well um, I'll play Friedrich yeah. as long as you play Maria with me also because I need to play Maria
0: no problem yeah absolutely Absolutely. A lot of people think Maria is better.
1: Well, so I, this could be I, the I've,
0: ultimate test. I've only played Maria twice, so okay. I do not have the the body of information to say that that it's not as good, just that I didn't enjoy it quite as much. It's a little less asymmetric, and that might be where, where my, my issue came in. Um, let's see. There's one other thing we want to talk about uh, as far as GMT goes, which is Dominant Species Marine is through the art department and is moving toward production and we've learned a little bit more candace wrote a little bit more about the way the game is going to work here here are the takeaways instead of playing two to six players like dominant species did it only plays two to four so that's a boo um the actions that you take are taken immediately when you place your pawn. when you choose your action you take your action which was very different than the original Dominant Species, which was a lot crunchier because everyone would choose their action and then you would take your action. So there was a lot of foreplanning and forethought mm-hmm. that would have to go into what you were going to do. I'm going to put that as as maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. I kind mm-hmm. of liked the crunch of it, but I can see the problem with it too.
1: Yeah, I've I've never actually played the original Dominant Species. Mm. Uh, it was one that I, that I wanted to play. But then I heard, actually it was several months ago that you guys were talking so excitedly about... This coming down the pipeline, that um, whatever interest I had in the original, I sort of I sort of like put that to the side, and I sort of said I'm gonna put all my eggs in the dominant species species marine basket. Oh, so good. that's where
0: um, that's where my mind's at. Yeah, I mean, don't just take my word for it because for Trey and I, you know, we found it to have a problem. The dominance checks were very take that-y in a mm-hmm. game that didn't really feel like it fit. And it was very not just bash the leader, but sometimes just beat up on somebody in a way that just didn't feel like it matched the rest of the game. That said, Jennifer, the game pioneer, it's in her top five games of all time and wow. completely disagrees with us. Wow. So and 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 it's a it's a beloved game. And and you will not see Trey and I bashing the game. We think it's an amazing design. It's just that one aspect of the game kind of soured it for us a a little bit. And it may just be the way we play it. We just play like real jerks. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's more of a Trey and Tom issue than a Dominance. (laughs) I mean, it could be. But speaking of, Dominance checks are no longer going to be on a per tile basis. They are going to be over the entire board, which sounds to me like it may fix exactly what our issue with original dominant Species was. It, 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 dominance checks, instead of being so targeted and I'm going to destroy you, seem like it might be that they become a global board-wide phenomenon that is much harder to specifically pick on one person and rather become something that everyone has to adjust to and deal with and mm. try and avoid. If that's the case, then I cannot wait to get this, uh, this game because it really is... It really is an amazing design, a seminal design, and uh, I'm, I'm dying to check it out. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Chad, the designer of the game, is, uh, is no longer with us. He, Chad Jensen passed in 2019, uh, and we're going to miss him very much, but I'm really happy that uh, the, his, his last design is going to be coming out soon, and I look forward to checking it out. Absolutely. Uh, Vampire the Masquerade has a board game coming out called Vendetta. Uh, if you don't play role playing games, you might not know what it is. Uh, you yeah, have no idea what any of the words are that you just said. Oh wow, yes. interesting, interesting. All right, so after the Dungeons and Dragons and all that sort of stuff, like back in you know back in the nineties or late eighties, early nineties, um, new companies started coming out with role playing games. They had different mechanics, different rules, and a, a different focus. Um, the a, a G, a White Wolf put out a game called Vampire the Masquerade, where everyone is playing a vampire. And there are several different clans of vampires, and they're sort of like different character classes because they each have specialties. The Tremere were magicians. The uh, Bruja were the more bestial and animalistic ones, and they could transform into things. The Malkavians were insane, and, uh, mm-hmm. and they had special abilities because of that. And it was all you know we're all super powerful vampires that have lived for centuries or maybe not maybe we live for just a little bit of time the mm-hmm. longer you've lived the older you are the more power you have and it was a revelation at the time even though there there are issues with it it was amazing because it sort of pushed you to role play mm-hmm. as opposed to roll the dice and play oh. it was very um it was very gothic. It was very, but it's set in modern day. Hey. Immersive, immersive, soapy. Oh, maybe ooh, I like a little okay, bit. Okay, now, now you're talking my language, right? Soapy, yes, like a little bit, yeah. Because you, because there would be there would be all this. It was a very palace intrigue sort of game where. Okay, you're, I like it. Where there's a, high, a very strict hierarchy and and. Betrayal and backstabbing uh-huh. and, and uh, 500-year-old grudges that are being carried out today behind the scenes and you're never quite sure what anyone's up to. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, in the LARP community uh, um, that Trey and I are, are very much a part of, uh, it's it's become, it's an issue because what happens is is that they do these huge vampire persistent LARPs, meaning that when one larp ends the next larp is going to begin with the same sort of thing and unfortunately all of that soapy goodness that is in that in a role playing game works so well doesn't for some people doesn't work so well it's not it, people have found it to be not a welcoming community because when you come in the person in power is in power and they want to stay in power and the two people under them or the four people under them are in power and they want to stay in power so you as the brand new character that just comes in uh you have to be lucky to find a group that is going to include you and not just exclude you because you don't have any power and you're not of much use i mean this is
1: really pretty much like being on real housewives of new york i mean that's what aviva faced she came in she was (laughs) new you know, you have you know, you have certain people that are at the top. You have Ramona Singer at the top of the pyramid who just wants to stay in power and Aviva's just trying to make her way.
0: But God bless that Vassar Girl, that, that one legged dynamo. She just You know what? She was only on for two seasons, but we'll remember her forever. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyway, Vampire the Masquerade Vendetta is uh, actually a, a friend of mine, Ryan Shoon, for uh, Man vs. Meeple did a short review of it or a short uh, a playthrough of it. Okay. It's a short game. It's 30 minutes. Um, it's like a intrigue slash... Combat game where four diff- up to four different vampires are playing to get these special cards in the center of the board. You're playing cards to do that. You can play them face up, in which case people know what's coming, or you can play them face down, in which case they will be a surprise. But you have to spend blood to do that, and mm-hmm. blood is your is your main resource for gaining extra points and doing extra right. things and all that sort of stuff. So um, it looks light. It looks kind of euro trashy. So uh, bear- euro trashy, euro trashy, a little bit. Okay.
1: Do you not know that term? I just only know of Euro Trash in like the sense of like the the. I know of Ameritrash. Oh, I should have said Ameritrash. Yeah, yeah. I, was I was meant like, Ameritrash. I was like, whoa, whoa. Did it like have a cheap cologne on it? Or <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: it had a little bit uh, too much, too much gold. <laughs> when you open up the box, because
0: we like uh, we like a deep house. <laughs>
1: I was like, wow, that was a scathing indictment right there. It's a Euro trashy game. (laughs) Holy
0: cow, I didn't remember I did that. And last in the news, we're going to talk about uh, some app news because, hey, guess what? You all should be doing a little less face-to-face gaming for a little Mm -hmm. short period of time and a little more uh, online gaming. Tap it up. Absolutely. Labyrinth, War on Terror, a very, very, very good game is now on Steam. And if it's anything, listen, it's a card based war game about the war on terror in Afghanistan. I have played it a few times. I own it, and it is a very interesting game. I like it a lot. It's one of the earliest games. It's sort of a predecessor to the Coin series. A lot of the things that the Coin series, the, the uh, Counter-Intel and Insurgency, um, that game series came out of some of the design choices in Labyrinth. Uh, Check it out. See if you might like it. Mystic Veil. Mystic Veil is a a very interesting game Mm -hmm. where you have cards that are a little see-through, and so you can add things by sliding a card over a card. You're adding to that card's power.
1: Card building.
0: Yeah, a very interesting design. Uh, That is also online. It's on the Switch, actually, which I think is a great idea.
1: I've never even played Mystic Veil. This is, by the way, a great debut for me. Every game. Well, I haven't actually played that game, but... (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't really know much. I've just played Catan, basically. But um, uh, but I think the Switch is great because for everything that I've seen and read about Mystic Veil is it gets a little annoying. have to slide things into these pouches. Yes. And at the end, take everything out. So just have it all online and just have a, have a computer do everything for you. That's great. That's, it, a, that's great. that's a great use of
0: the Switch. Now, let me say this. Ben is one of the guys who brings games to game night. <laughs> I okay, do. I got hundreds and hundreds of games back here, <laughs> I do. and you bring. You always have a shopping bag. It, I it, do, and it's a reusable shopping bag, and it always has two to four games in it. <laughs> and every single time you bring it, there's at least two games that I have not played yet. And I just want to say thank you for that. You. you you are a very knowledgeable, very experienced gamer. You've played a ton of different games and you have great taste. Deluvia well, project you. you and I have talked about, I thought is one of those hidden gems from last year that didn't quite make my top ten list, but it's way up there in terms of my esteem for the game. I think it's a brilliant design. Well, I was shocked it didn't make your top ten list because
1: after you played it, you said it was your number two game of the year. So I was I was shocked that it didn't make it all the way in it make any inroads, but I figured what was that play was that it really technically is a game from 2016 or 14 or 15 or something like that. Yeah,
0: it, it's that it was not actually. It, it was that it was not actually a new game, and that I had only played it once, so I yeah. don't have enough plays. Yeah, it's a 2016 release is the real reason. The yeah. same reason PAX Premier didn't make the cut. It had to be a, a release of 2019. Yeah. But I should have mentioned it. I should have mentioned That's in terms okay. of the, my f- favorite game plays of the year. Delivery Project was amazing.
1: It's amazing. And I would love to maybe maybe on a future episode, maybe revisit it in a, in a proper way. Because it's, it's a game that deserves a lot of love. Absolutely. Let's get to games on the brain. Games. Games on the brain. These
0: are games we like to play. These are games that go... I'll start. On my brain is the weight loss challenge because guess what? Today, this is Saturday we're recording this, was the first day where you could weigh in if you chose to and three of us have weighed in. (sighs) And? Matt, Trey, and yes me we all three of us have weighed in all three of us are beneath our goal weight we have lost more than nine percent of our body weight some of us a lot closer to ten percent of our body weight and we win that's amazing congratulations thank you thank you jake was uh, was complaining on tuesday but i think he's going to make it just fine and paul i was worried about him a week ago but he just sent me a message uh, saying that he's only two pounds away and uh, his kidneys are still functional and everything's doing good so i think he's going to be just fine too, I think no one may make any money, but everyone may have made a healthy life choice.
1: I'm, you know, I'm happy for you guys. I actually almost uh, stopped by and got some croissants for today, <laughs> and then I was like, "Wait, no, he's still doing the challenge, so I'm not gonna bring croissants." And I probably don't need croissants because I will say that um, ever since like the the social distancing started, I've started to act so self indulgently. Like when I'm sick, if I have if I ever get a cold or have a fever or something like something like that, I. Totally, I order in food like Chinese food. I get all the food that makes me feel good, and yeah. I'm not sick, but I'm acting like I'm sick because I'm like eating McDonald's and Panda Express and just like <laughs> I just want something to make me feel good because I'm quarantining myself. I'm like, this
0: is a disaster. I need to
1: like just because I'm quarantined doesn't mean I can't eat healthy.
0: You're stress eating. I you know that a lot of people are stress eating. I I, I totally understand that. Yeah, uh, listen. It's not the worst thing in the world if you are going to order in some food from time to time. There are, I would not do Panda Express or anything like that, but there are a lot of restaurants that are going to be in real trouble if, for Mm -hmm. the next two months, virtually no foot traffic, nobody coming in, rent is still due. Um, Restaurants, especially individual restaurants, small businesses, uh, operate on a knife's edge of profit margin, mm-hmm. huge closure rate. Uh, you might want to think about doing one of two things during this time if you really like that restaurant. Uh, one thing is to order in tons and tons of restaurants that never did delivery or never did pickup. Now are doing pickup just to stay alive. So uh, consider that with your favorite, yeah, favorite restaurants. absolutely. And the second thing is you can buy gift cards. If you are if mm. if you if you are of means and you can do that, you know buy a buy a gift card or or two of your uh, of your favorite places and help them stay in business so that when this uh, Michigas is over, it's a great idea. That they'll still be around. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah. That. What is on your brain, Ben?
1: Uh, two things are on my brain. They're a little cliche. One is cliche for what's <laughs> going on in the world, pandemic. Um, yeah. It's actually, but I'm not being facetious. Uh my friends have recently uh been wanting to play Pandemic. So we we actually gathered and we sat down and played Classic Pandemic last week. And I hadn't played the classic one in a, a long time. It is still it, you know it is a very fun game. I love it. It is we had a great time and we had such a good time that uh I went and I finally ordered, bought myself Pandemic Legacy. Season one, which arrived today. I know the game is about four four or five years old at this point, but I never bought it uh, because I never felt like I had a... I would be able to consistently get it to the table or sure. have a consistent group. But after last week, I'm like, I will have a consistent group. Of course, now we're all social distancing ourselves, but that's besides the matter. So I now have Pandemic Legacy waiting for me in a mailbox at the moment as we speak. But the other thing that's on my mind that feels cliche as... Cliché pertaining to this podcast. Uh Uh-oh. I have Food Chain Magnate on my brain. Yes! I have it on my brain. Victory!
0: (sighs) You know, I've had a very interesting relationship with this game. So Ben told me when when I was talking about Food Chain Magnate that he played it once a while ago, did not have a good experience. No,
1: no, I had a great experience. Oh, that's
0: right. You had a great experience, but then decided you never needed to play it
1: again. (laughs) Yeah. I I won so authoritatively, so like I just destroyed everyone. I just like just was a monster. I just I just knocked out the entire game and Ben said to himself, "Solved, done, put it, it away." Of, it kind of was like <laughs> I was like, "Why would I do any other strategy other than what I just did?" And like and I could also see how the game would be like increasingly more stressful. Like I had this just beautiful play and I was like, I don't think I need to play this ever again. Um, so I you, didn't really touch it. The,
0: you reached the summit of Everest.
1: Yeah, I think it was just one of those things where I did so well and I, I felt like I, I almost didn't even deserve it. So I was just going to take my win and just leave. Uh, it's like going to Vegas, you know? And um, But then I recently played it again with you, what, like three weeks ago, we played the yeah. with the Ketchup Expansion. And I did miserably. I ended with about five dollars, something like that. <laughs> like it was just beyond. Like I was, I was just behind the curve on every single front. I mean, I, I just was horrific. And I was like, "Gonna buy the game." Just well, <laughs> 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 like have a great play. I'm like, never gonna play it again. Have a terrible play. Gotta buy it. So I bought it, and I bought the ketchup expansion too. Good. So I I got it to the table with some people um uh, about a week ago. And we played Food Chain Magnate, four players, just basic,
0: not not the sure. expansion. We played that. Did you play with the new um, milestones though? No, just classic, just super super basic. Sure. I, I'm going to recommend that that next time you can play with the new milestones and the never exact, turn back to the old Exact ones. basic game, just with the new milestones, and it might be a more nuanced experience. I think it's a. I think it's just an improvement yeah. on the base game a little bit.
1: Yeah, I because I, we did play with the new milestones when I played with you and I did like them a little bit more. Yeah. But so we played and um, this is sort of going going back to what we're talking about with a long game that just flies by. I think our game may have gone like six hours, six and a half hours. <laughs> it I can. Mean, it was long and it was fun and I did so bad. I once again did so badly. I started off, I, was, I, I came just like roaring out of the gates. I was just killing it i was getting all these great milestones and then somewhere something happened and then i was just behind the ball and I, it was like five hours of me i had a friend james my friend james is just
0: so shrewd and he he just started undercutting me so then I, he, was would, he was he was was it the price war because generally when, price you, war. when you get killed it's either somebody starts price warring and they get too far ahead of you in that or they start out advertising you well,
1: I, well, he was trying to price-war me. So okay. he was dropping it. So he was able to like – he was basically vulturing all my places. Yeah. And so then I was – so then I tried to pivot. And then I like pivoted over here. And then my friend Jenny was like, guess what? I got a freezer and all the food that you thought you had. I have it sitting here. <laughs> so she delivered. And then it was like everywhere is like – I just kept on turning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to outfax fax them this way. And then James would come in this way. And then like – so it just was at all – like every time I tried to pivot, I was I kept getting stymied. But that was what was so fun about it, right? It was this idea that maybe this turn I could dig myself out of the hole and I could be on the offensive, they'd be on defensive, I could turn it all around. Yeah. But every turn it was just like something would go wrong. And uh it was hilarious. And I ended that game with I ended like with a hundred dollars. James ended with like seven hundred dollars. Um, but it was so, so fun and I'm just so excited to play it again. I feel oh, like so now good. I truly understand, like now I understand the appeal of the game. That initial game when I did so well, it's almost like a shame. I think I was actually scared of the game, uh, cause it seems like there's so many things you can do, but now I'm like, no, don't be afraid of losing in this game. Just like have fun with just trying to spar with other people oh, yeah. economically. I
0: tend to do very well in the game, but my, my favorite, version, my favorite times I've ever played that game is when I just got trounced. Yeah. It's hilarious because I re- because in those times I was like, "Oh wow. I am in so much trouble and I can see myself losing and there's mm-hmm. this super narrow window where if I do this and if no one else sees that I can do this." Yes. I I have a window, I have a way out of the mess that I'm in, and yeah. then right before I do that, somebody takes that action before me, and that window just closes. Exactly, I felt like like Waluigi, like
1: slinking out, <laughs> trying to like get like my thing, and then like a spotlight appears on me, and I have to like drop my money bags. It was just, I you know, I and the day before I had spoken with a friend, and he said he doesn't really like the game because he felt like he played a game. He had a playthrough once where very early on he messed up, and he was like. I can tell I'm not, not going to win this game. And it was just like hours of me just like buying mm-hmm. my time, which I get, but I also could tell I wasn't going to win. And the funny thing is, by the way, is that not to go on so much longer about Food Chain Magnate, That's okay. but my friend, so James, I was the only one who played the game before. And so he was, at the outset, he was upset because he felt like he had botched a bunch of milestones. He missed a bunch of milestones. and He really only had like one. Mm-hmm. Um, And he was like, he sort of like uh, regrouped and was like, I'm just gonna rally around this, the one milestone that I have. I forget which one it was. I think it was about training, and he's like, I'm just gonna try to undercut the competition, and he won. He he trounced us, even though he missed the majority of the milestones. Whereas I had several milestones, which I think ultimately pushed me in too many different directions. Right. And so then I, even though I had like two really good rounds before everyone else had ramped up their engines then I was just a disaster and I was just this awful burger shack, just like <laughs> driving around town with a van, the truck full of drinks that no one wanted and like
0: <laughs> pizza that was going cold and stale and like terrible. Uh, terrible. And, and when I think about the ketchup expansion and all the different things that you can add, just, <sighs> just adding in noodles, adding in mm, sushi, the Noodles were fun. Noodles are crazy. The, adding in the apartment buildings mm-hmm. that that double the demand of anything. It's just it's it's a wonderful, wonderful game. If you if you haven't played it and you are ready to dive into the deeper end, you have to be ready to dive into the deeper end. Because this one is a this one is a thinky thinky game, but it's amazing. Yeah I, I totally fine It's on my brand. Uh, update on the eight by eight challenges that we did nothing on the eight by eight challenge, but we had fun anyway. And isn't that more important? Uh, yeah,
1: there's no, there's no quantity that you can, there's no number you can put on fun. That's right.
0: Right. Even though next week is our one year anniversary. Uh, Congratulations. (sighs) Yes. Amazing. Next week will be episode number 50. So
1: I do have to applaud you guys because, um, you know, one thing, a lot of people, Ask uh, Ronnie and I, you know, they they ask us a lot about advice, and um, or they ask us for advice. And the thing that I say is the the thing that I think matters the most with a podcast is consistency is churning out an episode week after week after week or every two weeks, whatever schedule that you say. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you guys have been churning out episodes pretty much every single week, and a lot of times they're about two hours. I really applaud that because that's a lot of dedication and. People often will do that for the first two or three episodes and then all of a sudden their podcast disappears into the ether and you guys have stuck with it. So really, congratulations.
0: I think the format really helps. I think the the fact that um, just Maddie and, and I have to do it every week and everyone else, you know, once every two months you're going to be on an episode mm-hmm. and you have time to think about it and think about what you want to say and your observations. Yeah. And The other thing is is that... We all genuinely really like each other. Like, there's no, it's it's not work to do this. Yeah, it's hanging out with a friend and talking about something we love to talk about. So that's that, that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. For Absolutely. Sure. All right, here we go. Here's time for the review. The technical full name of this game is Railroad Revolution Colon. Railroad Evolution. Wow, they need to change that. <laughs> the, the name has evolved within itself. <laughs> Railroad Revolution. Railroad Evolution <laughs> is a 2019 release. The designers are Marco Canetta and Stefania Nicolini, Niccoli, uh, and the artist is Mariano Yanelli, and the publisher is. The amazing what your game. This is a game with a current weight of three point six seven. It plays two to four players, and it plays in about ninety minutes to two hours. I think we mm-hmm. found. I think we found two two and a half hours is generally. For yeah, us.
1: I think two and half, two and a half hours because I do think that the this the evolution does add more cho- uh, decisions to be made.
0: Oh yeah, very much so. Tell me, Ben. Tell me about this game. What what is what are you doing in Railroad Revolution? Railroad Evolution. Well, which I well, which I will Tom. never just call it Railroad Evolution again.
1: <laughs> well, you can call it R R R E R E. Let me. Well, let me tell you. So this the story with Railroad Revolution Evolution, because uh, I will. I will I will shorten it a little bit. Is that um, the base game Railroad Evolution Railroad Revolution <laughs> came out about in 2016, about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, super fun game, but very quickly it was determined that um, one aspect of it was broken, just way overpowered and easily overpowered and it really bothered a lot of people it became a whole to do on the on board game geek and it was also kind of like a, a like a blight for i imagine for what's your games because they're known for these really thinky heavy games that are you know they release one game a year and the game that they release is usually pretty much like dead on right
0: oh yeah i mean madeira i think is the yeah, absolute height of what they've released and it's such an amazing game but Nippon is like Nippon was, is great. that used to be like my, my favorite game of all time their lightest game they put out was
1: Loot Island I love Loot Island mm-hmm. it's crazy good Zhang Guo is great Zhang Guo is, is yeah. really underrated um, I have Signori but I have not actually played it but um, <laughs> another you, one on the list.
0: Uh, you, you should all know on the podcast that we are actually in a Catholic church in a confessional right now. That's why Venice is, uh, is copping to so much right now. I know, I should just lie. You, you could just sit down. You don't need to be on your knees. It's okay, yeah. we're good.
1: So anyway, so the the basically Railroad Evolution um, goes and fixes the stuff that went, went a little bit awry in Railroad Revolution. So basically the way the game works is... Um, it's about trains and you have this big map of, of America and uh, there's on the map, there's places that you can build stations there's places where you can lay uh, tracks. There's an area um, for that represents the Western Union telegraph service that mm-hmm. I guess was built alongside this, the, the railroads in America. And so um, in the game, you are developing uh, your rail barons, I'm imagining, and you're developing a network of rails and stations, et cetera, et cetera, all in pursuit of glorious victory points. And um basically there's four actions you can do. Uh you can build a train station, you can lay rail, you can develop a you can create a an office for the western union or you can sell off some of your infrastructure meaning that like some of the wood that you have which is like think Catan, you know, you got like, you know, settlements and roads, those mm-hmm. are basically train stations and rails in this game. You can sell off pieces of your wood essentially to to raise some money. So those are the four things that you can do in the game. But what makes the game really fun and clever and interesting is that um, to do these actions, you're using little meeples, little, mm-hmm. wooden, little wooden guys or girls, whatever. And um, the, the, the color of the meeple that you use is going to impact how your action is done. Meaning that if you use the orange meeple to build a train station, normally a train station might cost you know $500 in, in a certain city. But if you use the orange guy, it's free. So the orange guy will give you discounts. Or maybe the blue guy means you get to lay down not just two pieces of rail, but three pieces of rail. So you have these meeples and uh, you are, you, you're trying to use, use them as best as possible to get the best kind of bonuses with your actions. And that is like the hook of the game, which is that you are uh,
0: like, it's not just that you do the actions, it's how you do the actions. It's bonus hunting. Bonus on And bonus on comes in several ways. When you build a station, if you're the first one to build it in a city, you get a bonus for building in that city, plus you get a one-time bonus for being the first person to build there. But wait, if you have a gray guy that you use to take that action, you get to take that first-time bonus even if you're the last person to build there. So there's all kinds of little advantages to that, including things like there are little trains that you're going to have and each mm-hmm. train can have a tender can have a it can have a right. train car behind it and each one of those have benefits and every time you flip that over you're going to be able to take that train's bonus and whatever car is is attached to it as well so there's a lot of there's a lot of really complex, it becomes a very complex interaction game, even though the, the design of it is quite simple and pretty easy to understand.
1: Yeah, so I mean, you know, certain Euro games are, are engine builders, right? Where, you know, you start off with something small and by the end of the game, when you activate your engine, you get all these resources, blah, 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 blah. This is not really that kind of game. This no. is not a, an engine building game. This is more of a, how to, how can I string along enough of these bonuses to create this like a little bit of a chain reaction where I go here, and because I use a meeple of this color, I'm able to get this bonus, which activates this thing over here, which means I go up on this track over here, which means I get this bonus. That lets me do this thing over here. You know, And so when you can have those moments, it's it can be really fun. But I'm just saying that because sometimes uh, people go into games... Really wanting an engine building experience mm-hmm, yeah. because it does. Engine building gives you a certain kind of like feedback that's really fun and empowering. And I just want everyone to know that like that's not really what you get here. Uh, this is more about the the fun of finding these like strings of combos to make what you need to, what you need happen.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of the game scoring is end game scoring. And the endgame scoring in this game comes from several different areas. There are contracts, which are basically, there are A contracts, B contracts, C contracts, and D contracts. A contracts are the simplest ones, and it'll be something like build two stations in two different B cities and have two different rail lines that yeah. go through a triple mountain space or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Once you've done that, boom, you can you have to sacrifice one man and there's a man economy in this game where you yeah. can get men but you also have to sacrifice men for certain actions and when you do that, boom, you've banked 18 victory points at the end of the game and you get to pick something from tile from stack B, a, yeah. a B thing and those, those are worth 25, 28 points sometimes and they're harder to do and so on and so forth and, and they kind of they're also goals that drag you across the map. They pull you in deeper into yes. the West and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, in, in many ways, um, you know, the, in this game, the actions that you take are, are sort of like in pursuit of two things. They're in pursuit of building your infrastructure or, and they're also in pursuit of also, uh, bolstering your endgame points because your endgame points in almost all your endgame points are usually a reflection of the infrastructure you've built. Mm-hmm. Sort of rem, it's sort of reminiscent of Concordia, in the sense that, in in just in that way, and that with Concordia, you are both like trying to build something out on the board, yes, right. But you also need to collect cards as multipliers, right? And so you need to yeah. have the balance of like you need to have stuff that's out there on the board, mm-hmm. so that way when your car when your multipliers fire off, there's something for them to fire off about, right? So you sort of have that going on because you have, you know, you got your train stations and you got your rails, um, and then you have like you said, there's the contracts, but there's also this. It's called an advancement track. It's not even ca- – there's not they don't even try to give it any sort of theme. They don't even say, like, this is your prestige in the railroad industry or this is that. Um, so in the base game, what the advance- there were three advancement tracks, and this is where the big controversy was, <laughs> was that one of them was one of the, the advancement tracks pertained to um, how well you've developed the Western Union. So if you've put down uh, all the Western Union offices, so I think that was about eight offices that you could put down, and you went up the track and got like a big multiplier, you could just very easily with no effort just get like a, just a ton of points.
0: Yes, and the the cost for doing that was because everything in this game has a price, and mm-hmm. that and so it's very much a economy management game. Yes, uh, you don't score points based on money, but your money is one of the big limiting factors in terms of what you can do. Yeah, And it was just, it, it was bad. It was it was incorrectly balanced. And even when they multiplied basically by 10 the cost, even then that Western Union track was still decided by the people that play this game tons at the board gaming championships still found it to be unbalanced.
1: Yes. So what they've done with Evolution is they just got rid of it. A lot of people are like, how did they fix the Western Union? That's the big question. The way they fixed it is they literally just ditched the whole three-track system. When you get this expansion, you get a whole new board. Mm-hmm. A whole new board, and you <laughs> a new fantastic point of view. I mean, it's actually very true. It really is a new fantastic point of view, <laughs> because you get a brand new board that looks pretty much like the old board. Very similar, except for the, the bottom. Yeah, the bottom and the right. Yeah, the, yeah. Sure. Uh, because you have the same map. Everything's the same on the mm-hmm, map. Mm-hmm. But now, instead of having three tracks on the right. You just have one single track, and i 'll get to what the other the other parts of the board that are different are, but in just in terms of this this cause this is the hot this is the hot topic that, the hot the new thing. what do they do so you have this advancement track, and what happens is um whenever you were to you you get an opportunity to move up the advancement track
0: which is one of the bonuses that happens all over the board all it's, over uh, there are, there are trains that when you flip the train you get to do that yeah. there are w- places where when you build a station you get to do that there are sometimes where you build track you get to you, you get to take a um, what it's what, called a deal deal that's right you get yes. to take a deal and deals uh, are there's a interesting economy we don't really have time to get into it too much but in addition to money you also have shares you have shares and shares can be spent to take these deals and these deals are another bonus action
1: yeah there's like a bonus opportunity to get like really important things that you you will need so um so as you go up this track um you if you see the icon that looks like a little stack of napkins that means you get to go up the advancement track (laughs) (laughs) so if you get the napkin action you go up this track and as you go up it Um, When you get to a certain point, you have an opportunity to claim uh, what's called – I forget what it's actually called, but it's a little tile, like a a productivity tile or something like that. Something like that, Production tile. It's a little tile that basically says – for example, you might get one that says, hey, you get two points for every um, road you have that's uh, on hilly terrain. Ro- road. I'm sorry. I keep doing that. <laughs> All game you were Catan. doing that last time because it's the Catan roads. What is the Catan roads? Train roads. Those roads. There's a road. Train rails. Roads. Um, yes. Because by the way, on the on the map where you lay the rail, there's three different types: train, there's plains, there's little hills, medium hills, mountainous. Yada yada yada. So the point is that, and they all
0: cost uh, money. The, the base cost is low, and with each hill, you're adding fifty dollars yes, more onto the
1: cost. Exactly that, and that gets back to what you're talking about, like how to manage your money. Very much so. So you might find a tile here as you as you as you reach like maybe the it's about the fifth or sixth spot on the advancement track. You uh, have an opportunity to take a tile that says, "Hey, you get two... At the end of the game, you're gonna get two points for every one of your uh, rails that's in a. Uh, lightly like a hilly area that has like one triangle um so that's worth two points for every so maybe by the end of the game you have uh you have like you you're in like six of those spots that's gonna be that could be 12 12 points right there so you take that tile and you put it on your player board and your player board has a new sideboard and
0: mm-hmm. the sideboard
1: has its own kind of funky tower of tracks it's two, like, tra- like two tracks two tracks tracks
0: one track goes up four spaces, and the other track goes up three spaces. Yes, they're side by side. And when you put something in there, all of a sudden, whenever you do one of those things that advances you up that track on the side of the board, you can choose instead of moving up the side of the board, you can instead move your piece on your on your own personal side board up one space. Some yeah. of them cost two, two move actions to move up one. Some of them cost three. But as you do that, all of a sudden, you're you get three victory points for every station you have in a B city. Suddenly you move that up one space and all of a sudden it's worth double. Yeah. So now it's worth six points each and then up again, nine points each and so on and so
1: forth. Exactly. Cause the higher, the higher you move your little, your little tile on your sideboard, the, now you get to have a two x multiplier, and then another tier three x, and ultimately four x if you can get up there. And so basically, you're using them in the main boards advancement track. Now basically to claim scoring tiles, and by meaning that like I I need this tile because I want to score points for for this aspect of my infrastructure, the mm-hmm. number of stations I built, or whatever. There's, sometimes it's even you talked about contracts. There's some scoring tiles that um, will give you points for how many contracts you've finished. So now the advancement track is more about claiming scoring opportunities. Yeah, um, which is which is very cool. And I, that's an, and it's an important distinction to make. It's not about like who's first up that or who's second because in the, on the playthrough on on third on Tuesday, uh, someone at the table. Well, it's kept saying, well, I'm not going to bother going up that track because I've already lost that track. And it's like, it's not really, a, it's not a win or lose track. It's more like.
0: It's an action it's, point efficiency. It's a way,
1: it's a, just a way to claim more points. Yes. Um, so it's really important to understand the, how that works. So that's like the big thing is that we, we don't have something that rewards you for building in the Western Union. We just have something where you can decide what you want to be rewarded in. And then depending on how much effort you put into those advancement tracks, you will get rewarded more
0: and more and more. So given the last time you and I played the game, I was very surprised to see you play it on Tuesday because you had won so convincingly I know. so <laughs> devastatingly. Uh, uh. I thought it was going to be the Food Chain Magnate rule where I never want to play this game again. Wow. I, have, uh, I have seen, you know. That was, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I trounced...
1: I just trounced Tom uh last week. Just destroyed was, it was, me. I had never I've never destroyed beaten everybody. you in a game ever before. I you what? Know what? no, it's not possible. I've never beaten you in a game. Seriously. I don't think so. Wow, that's crazy. Unless it was one of those crazy that's, Avalon games. That's crazy. But um uh that was a game where everything just fell in line so perfectly, and that's where you get the excitement in this game is when things are working right, it's like the best.
0: And here's the thing, when it's when it's a game like this where there are five different ways you can get a lot of points in this game. So there's a lot of different things you can focus on. I thought I had a really good game, but it's all in-game scoring. So I thought right up until the end of the game, like, I think I'm in this. I think Ben's really, really good too, but I think I'm in this. And then you beat me about 40 points or something, something like that. It was crazy. massive. And you know what? I really messed up something on my game
1: on Thursday. Uh, I, like, I messed up the sequence of something at the, my very last turn and I lost out on 42 points by doing that and it wow. was yeah but you know what what's interesting about the game is it reminds me of food chain magnate in another way mm-hmm. which is that I was just saying how in food chain magnate you can get pulled in different directions yeah you have to in this game and in food chain magnate I feel you have to sort of keep your eyes open uh, into where the game is is really telling you where to go because Railroad Revolution, just even the base game, but even more so with Evolution, it's a very sort of friendly game. It's like, you want, hey, you want to take that action again, even though you already took it? Do it again. Go ahead. Go yeah. ahead. You want to place a rail there, even though Tom put a rail there?
0: Go no ahead. Problem. Nobody Every, blocks
1: anything. The answer is like yes to everything. And so what happens is... <laughs> There's, kind of, there's like this overabundance of opportunities and you can do this, you can do that, you can do... It's like, oh, have fun, go, go, go do it all. But explore if you're, the space. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not paying attention, you will, you will not be focused and then you will fall into all the pitfalls. And it's
0: like surprisingly devious in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the negative on the game is is the fact that it's so endgame scoring heavy and it is a little point salady And I know that's a mm-hmm. negative term, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, Steffen Feld games are amazing, but they're very much... You get points for eight different things and how you manage that and how you manage your opportunity is, is really the puzzle of the game and the challenge of the game. Um, but... The fact that there's so many different things that I can do and nobody's action really blocks you from Mm -hmm. anything other than one small bonus. And there are so many bonuses to be had. I guess I kind of have a thing about modern game design which feels very Pavlovian, Mm -hmm. right? It's like they're constantly ringing the bell so I can get the little treat and I feel like that there's something about that that at a certain point feels disingenuous. This game isn't the worst as far as that goes. It's actually quite quite mild. I like the game. I like the game quite a bit. But I think that maybe some games that, that balance a little more in-game scoring with end-game scoring do a better job of giving you guideposts as to how far along you are and where you are in relation to other people. I think in, in, in this game, it's easy to, to not really get a strong sense of how you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I think if when you look at the advancement track, that does sort of, that does clue yeah. you in. And you can see when people are doing well with contracts. I mean, I think a counterpoint would be Great Western Trail. You sort of, you're kind of in the blind in that game, and same with Concordia. And you sort of, you sort of can get an idea. You're like, well, that person seems like they got everything together. And you sort of, can, you, you make some estimates, but you really don't know until it all shakes out in the end, you know?
0: Really? Because in Great Western Trail, the only thing hidden are the cows.
1: But in great you can
0: see you can see exactly how many stations a person has on the on the train track. You can see exactly how many buildings they've built. So you know yeah. you know virtually all of their points except for their cow points.
1: Yeah, but I've definitely played Great Western Trail before, where people have come. You know, you th- you, you see all that stuff. And you're like, oh, okay. And then someone just had they've got the cow points. They got the hazards. They got sure. other. They got the random. They've got the objectives. So there's like a, there is I, I guess there is okay. more. But you're right. There's more. There's more feedback there. I guess I, don't, I just don't mind when, it's, when there's a big endgame scoring thing. I sort of like the drama of it all. You know, like, okay, we've all done all these random things. How is this all going to
0: shake out? You so know? We, both, we both like the game. You love the game. I like it very much. Who is this game not for and who is this game for? Like, what, what's the sweet spot here?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, um, who is it not for? I don't know who it's not for. I, you know, I, when I play it, I feel like it's a surprisingly accessible game. But then when I've actually played it, in, in the last two playthroughs, there's been at least one person at the table who has actually kind of struggled with the rules and the iconography mm. deep into the game. Yeah. And these are like not players who've never played games before. These are players who like know games very well, but like deep into the game is still asking, oh, remind me, how do I get a train again? How do I do that? And there's something going on with this game Mm-hmm. Maybe it's with the iconography, where for certain people it's there's there's like a lack of stickiness, and it hap- it happens to all players of sure. you know, all games. But this game, I was surprised because it seems st- fairly straightforward to me. It seems pretty medium weight in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, but it also makes me wonder why don't why don't games why don't more games publish like a little player aid that just says these are what these icons mean, especially a game like this that is so dependent on using the icons to chain things like why not a little thing that says this stack of napkins means move up the advancement track this means this is where you this is how you get a train little things like that just make life much easier for people who are having trouble sure. you know, processing and it also makes it easier for people who have to like constantly
0: answer the questions you well, know well ben let me tell you something prior to 2014 when you got into the hobby um we used to do something where we would make player aids on the geek and we would put them out and everyone would print those out. Mm -hmm. I would say that probably 90% of Jennifer's games have, play raids from the geek that are printed out and she's had laminated that are in the boxes I, that do exactly great, that but great it's idea. just that this game isn't really out yet i mean it's not uh, yeah. it's not available in the united states yet so we may not have enough of those play raids but i do think that somebody's going to put out a play raid that does exactly that i wish what what's your game had had done that and mm-hmm. it's great that these days more and more games come out with exactly what you need for exactly that sort of situation but some mm-hmm. of them you know it it's not always not every game is going to do that but i think they yeah. should
1: but by the way i also want to point out that is such a minor little thing for me i i do actually think that this expansion really makes the game sing. i bought railroad revolution back in 2016 or 17 mm-hmm. i played it once i had a great time playing it actually and the the group that i played with we didn't encounter the the western union issue. Uh-huh. We had like a, just a, a just a straightforward playthrough. It was super fun. And then I never played it again. I never touched it again. And I was I always was thinking, oh I should play that. I should play that. But I actually think that in the back of my mind, I was thinking about that Western Union thing. And right. I was like, you know, I had such a lovely time playing that game. I kind of almost I feel like I skirted something and I don't want to like, I don't want to face the reality of this Western union thing.
0: How many games have you not played again? Because you don't want <laughs> to ruin only, a good single experience.
1: Literally only food chain Magnate and this game, <laughs> literally the two of them, which is, which is appropriate. And so this expansion comes along and, um, we played it for the first time at Strategicon yeah. back in February. And to me it was like, Oh, this is firing on all cylinders because You know they got rid of the tracks, but also we should mention that the Western Union now. When you the way the scoring works with it is so there's this. um, Imagine this a section of the board that has uh, like a bunch of like imagine like seven squares Mm -hmm. essentially, and you put your your build a station in a square, and if you build a station in two adjacent squares, there's like a little scoring condition right in between them, and the scoring condition very much like Great Western Trail actually. Yeah. And if I, if I remember correctly, in the original, in the base game of Railroad Revolution, it wasn't a scoring condition of just like 10 points or it was just a certain amount of points you just get. But now it's like, okay, um, if you've surrounded the scoring condition, uh, you will get this many points for every city that you've built, every station you've built in, in like a level four city.
0: Which is great because it's almost always a, a points based on a condition on the board, which is Exactly. Great.
1: Which means it's it's what I was talking about before. It's funneling you or channeling you into an activity. And in fact, the last gameplay, I was like, you know, we're gonna review this game on Saturday. I should try I'm gonna do a Western Union heavy strategy Mm -hmm. to see how does that compare to what happened. And guess what? I only laid three down because I didn't the game took me in a different direction. And like my my natural compulsion to just want to play a good game took over, which I think actually says something of that the Western Union is maybe not has been has been brought down to Earth.
0: Oh, yeah. Right? This game is going to be about looking for synergies. Mm -hmm. It's what is the the accomplishment tile that I'm going to choose? Which of these contracts am I going to choose? Which Western Union things am I going to target? Sometimes you can get three of them that all fire for the same bonus, right? You're getting bonus four different times for placing... Uh, stations in four cities and basically mm-hmm. one, two, three, and four and five cities are going from east to west. The yeah. west coast is the five cities and so on and so forth. So,
1: And you, and you, and you know, when you talk about interaction sorry, now I'm fired up. Now I'm sure. like really excited Here to we start go. talking about it. When you talk about interaction with this game, it's like, yeah, you don't block anyone, but there are really subtle but important forms of interaction. You know, when you talk about the contracts, for instance, uh, As soon as you're finished with like an A contract, you can then dig through the pile of B contracts to pull your next one. So if the sooner you can do that, the better it is because a lot of those contracts can synergize with each other. So if I can get into that pile first... I have better chances of finding a contract that synergizes off of the contract I already did,
0: or a or just a situation that happens to be on the board. Like in order to yes. fulfill that contract, I just happen to have two two rail lines that are on planes. And look in this B stack, there's something that says have three rails on planes. In exactly. Your, in your goal so plan. it's
1: like it's really important to get to that stuff first. Yes. But it is also, by the way, even though those you know. The, the only competition direct competition comes from getting those like first city bonuses. Those are really, really important bonuses too. So, so you find yourself in this weird way of saying, well, I want to fulfill this contract, mm-hmm. but I have to do, but I also want to spend this turn going to that city. Also, if I fulfill this contract, all the contracts requ- require you to promote quote unquote promote. You. I'm doing your quotes. You can't see, but uh, <laughs> promote a worker, which basically means that you have to, sacrifice one of your workers and it's usually uh, a fancy worker because you start off with four white generic workers and then over the course of the game we talked about these different colored workers
0: the engineer the the accountant and so on and so forth yeah
1: you have to basically sacrifice them to this contract and it's like well that's good because then i can get into the i can start moving along in the contracts game but i needed those workers really badly which then brings us to the you mentioned the man economy in this game yes that man economy is brilliant. Oh that it is. Yeah. It is
0: brilliant. You you are constantly short of money and you are constantly short of men and in particular specialists. Yes. You are constantly in, in wanting to have oh my goodness if I had the orange specialist, I could build this station for free instead, I have to pay four hundred dollars mm-hmm. that I do not have, so I have to take an action to sell off some of my some of my equipment in order to get more money and it's yes. it's a it's a it's a brilliant brilliant design, and that selling off of
1: equipment in the base game you just literally ditch the pieces of wood from your player board and you collect the money that is associated with that piece now. You have the opportunity to not only just ditch the piece of wood, but you on the on the new game board on the left side there there are that's where you get all the little uh, train cars and tenders that you mentioned that did not exist in the base game, and now um, if you want to what those do is when you flip your train you now get those special powers. So now you have now you have an opportunity to kind of give yourself a little bit of an asymmetric power. By, built, by, by customizing your train, and you can only do that by selling your stuff. So now all of a sudden selling your stuff is a much more interesting and exciting action. And on top of that, on top of the fact that uh, the cars are going away because people are, are buying them off the side of the board, mm-hmm. you can't just take any car. You have to take a car in a slot that's available. It's hard to describe, but basically if I sell my station, there's like five spaces for stations to go into let's say and i put my station in one of them and there's two train cars associated with that slot so now someone else cannot sell their station to get those train cars it's hard to describe but there are yeah the there's, there's basically there's five different
0: slots in which you can pick up trains and train cars and uh they can fill up yeah and you can run out and the people can take the one that you wanted to take so it's not multiplayer solitaire because there is actually even though nobody can block anybody there's still a decent amount of player interaction my yes. final i guess my final thing i want to say about the game is that this is a pretty great recycling effort mm-hmm. they took a game that was 80% great and but had a fatal flaw to it yeah and they have come back and they've renewed it they've taken something instead of just okay put throw that one on the on the ash heap because we didn't get this and they've maintained everything that was good about it and made it better not just by fixing the flaws in it, but by finding other opportunities to improve it. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a really, really good job. I'm really happy to to have, have played it, and I, I look forward to playing it more. I really do. Yeah,
1: I think, I, I think that basically What's Games Game should just make this the base game, make this the base game, and then they can add an expansion. Dimitri and I were talking that what would be a great idea... Would be some sort of like um, like a nice mini expansion. Would be um, uh, some some sort of like goals like who has built the longest network of rails or who has um, done who has achieved the most contracts? Who has the most workers at the end of the game? Things like that. Oh, whereas now the whole table, it's just another layer of um interaction for the game would be really wonderful and easy to implement
0: so ticket to ride adding in ticket to ride add it
1: yeah why not it works (laughs) why not why not it's a fun
0: game folks that was railway revolution railway evolution i told you i would keep calling it that but uh, you could just call it railway evolution it is not currently out and available but it my understanding is that it is coming soon we're running low on time so let us move right on to our member specific segment we're talking about changes this uh this round and in particular, Ben wants to talk about changing people's minds about games.
1: Yeah, I want to change everyone's minds. I want I want people to play more games. I, I really do. I feel like um, I feel like video games had sort of a sort of a revolution in the late '90s, mm-hmm. where it wasn't just the thing that kids played, right? And now everyone plays video games. Um, I, I'm not saying people think that only kids play board games, but I think that there's you know there are a lot of people majority of people you say oh i really like board games they say oh my god i love monopoly you know <laughs> and i'm not trying to be snobby towards monopoly but but okay, it's will allow it the the board game hobby is so fun yes <laughs> yes and i want people to 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 learn about it because i feel like it's such a great hobby it's so fun it's a great excuse to gather your friends together to be face to face Um, and a great way to meet people too, and have these really enriching experiences. And, uh, and there's a selfish part of me that wants more people to game because one of the things with gaming is a lot of times you need other people to do it. It's not like video games. You can just sit down and play it by yourself. You can solo game. Totally.
0: But uh, I mean, I've said several times that, that I consider myself uh, evangelistic about games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know, go out and uh, make disciples of all the nations. I, I want, I want to, to turn people on to this hobby as much as they will. There are problems with that, though, right? I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm trying to fit a, a brown peg in a square hole, right? Yeah. Which is tough.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough. I've definitely been guilty of just really trying to force games on people and force <laughs> it and like some people it just does not work i am working very hard to make my boyfriend a gamer uh he does word games he likes word games okay uh he 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 likes he likes sort of clean simple games like, like what's, uh, the, what's, the, what's his favorite games he loves six nymphs right now okay he loves six nymphs he loves just one um good i you know what oddly enough he will play Meta. Medi- I always want to say Medici, but it's really Medici, yes. right? He plays that, which is actually a little, that's a, that's a sort of a, a more, that's a bigger game. But I think that because it's actually such a simple game. Yes. Uh, and, and you know, by the way, there's no shade in saying that a game is simple. It just, I it just know. meaning that like, sometimes people just want to get into a game. They don't want to, to deal with a lot of rules overhead.
0: I love it. I love elegant games, mm-hmm. games that are super easy to understand, but have depth to them.
1: Yeah. That's the best. That's why I think actually Wingspan was really so excellent for the hobby because um, aside from it being a, a, a very elegant game, the theme, birds, it just, to me, what was good about that was it was a theme that appealed to a lot of people, people who didn't even realize that they cared about birds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think sometimes people view board gaming and they think of like elves and gnomes and Star Wars or whatever, sort of like hardcore nerd culture. Yes. And I, I think it's like, I think it's important for board gaming to have its its nerd culture roots, but I also think it's it's important for people to realize that you don't have to be part of nerd culture to really enjoy and love board games.
0: Totally. Totally. I mean, I, yes, Die Marker, my favorite game. So many of my games do not have a science fiction or a fantasy theme to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I've said it before, I'm, I'm more attracted to games that do not have those themes. And I also think that they reach a wider audience that can you know broaden the hobby yeah i mean
1: for sure like people who are fans of certain ips are always going to be drawn to that ip in a board game too i imagine sure but uh, but again something like wingspan listen i'm not going out walking in the woods looking for birds but it's (laughs) fun there's something um relatable about I don't know if it's relatable, but you know, you see you see a card with a bird, and then you look at it, and then you read the little factoid on the bottom, and you place it, and it's pretty and it's fun. It gives you, it's more that the not that the birds are relatable, but the feeling that it gives you is relatable. This this like very lovely tableau of birds that you've created. Mm. I think maybe it conjures up. The feeling of going into the woods, or going to a park, or being with friends, or noticing a bird, or or that bird that once like sat on the branch outside your window and you're always looking at it. So it's not like oh I'm like a big like ornithologist. It's more that this is taking me to a place that is, like very very that we're all relating to. So you're saying it's like Pokemon
0: Go but with yeah. birds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I think it's important for like I'm excited for games like that that show that there are games. For For people that they can relate to
0: what are your go to's uh, You have a person that you say i 'm into the board game hobby that's that 's something I love to do, mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, I love monopoly yeah what do you what do you bring to the table what 's well, your what 's your conversion
1: Well, I do get this question a lot actually from Watch for because i you know I try to. I I try to mention board games whenever I can on that podcast because <laughs> <laughs> I've until now I've thank never had, I really have not had an outlet to to talk about board games. <laughs> you do now, so, and you do forevermore. Yes, thank you. So um, occasionally I will get like a DM or something, you know, someone says I'm interested in getting into board gaming. Um, I always recommend Catan. Sure. I, I th- you know, what I actually think Catan holds up even now, now that I'm into playing these deep, deep, deep games. I think Catan is an, a wonderful social experience. I think it's you know, the trading. Uh, there's good strategy. There's a lot of elements that are like the foundations of a lot of games. I think Catan holds up as just an excellent game. And if you do, if you buy no other game, I think you should, I think everyone should have Catan.
0: I will cut this out because I, 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 because Jesse can't hear this. <laughs> but I agree with you. I think I think as far as a gateway, it is still probably the gateway, yeah. the gateway game.
1: And then after that, I. Always tell people Concordia. I think Concordia, Concordia, I think might be my number one game of all time. When all, when all, when all the dust okay. settles, all right, because it is extremely elegant, but also it is a great game and it's pretty easy to learn. And that's a game I've been able to teach people who are not really, you've only really played Catan. They love it.
0: They love it. When I played, uh, so over the Christmas break, went up and visited my brother. My brother's a gamer. Uh, he, his daughters are starting to become gamers. They're they're young, 13, 12, that kind of age. Um, and his wife is down for whatever, but not quite a gamer. So it's always very interesting when I bring games up to show them what they respond to and what they don't respond to is shocking to me sometimes. Yeah. Like, she my brother 's wife is is the target right because she 's the she 's the one that i 'm trying to convert more and more and and, and mm-hmm. pull deeper into the hobby, so we play pipeline she loves it wow, loves it like totally groks it, totally gets it, knows how to play it knows what she 's doing does, doesn 't have a great first game but doesn 't have a bad first game, and mm-hmm. totally understands the the thing of it. We play everdell which i 'm assuming no brainer and she 's like. I don't know. I'm not really crazy about this game. It's like mm-hmm. it's it's too much like I she felt in the beginning of the game there were too few things that she could do, mm-hmm. and she felt stymied by that, and she didn't like the lack of options. Wow. And then I bring out Concordia, expecting, okay, this is gonna be this is gonna be it, because it's it's kind of the easiest, you know. Well, I think everyone else is easier, but it's a pretty easy teach and and a pretty deep game. It was a little impenetrable, it didn't stick. That is so surprising. Right? Concordia, right. I mean, and I thought I had a I thought it's, I had a good teach because there were kids playing with us too, and they totally they totally got it. A pipeline does. See, it just I mean, just different brains are wired in different ways. Yeah. you know, uh, that's that's proof of it. I think for me, Concordia is a level two. It's like a, it's not the first. It's not a, a first it's game that first, I would but start like with. The
1: next. I think if you if you're yeah. used to Catan, you can then start to because sometimes Catan when you do the first when you, the f- if you are new to gaming yeah. and uh, you do the rules explanation for Catan. Even that can be a lot for some people. They're like, sure. What? There's this, and then you got to pay this. But then once that is, once that has taken hold, then Concordia, maybe there'll be like a little bit of a, maybe a little trickiness, but overall it's like a very smooth transition. And, yeah. you know, and obviously pandemic is a good one too. Sure, um, sure. And Wingspan now, Wingspan may be also more at the Concordia level. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Maybe, um, maybe
0: more, maybe more accessible just because of theme. It's it's birdwatching, right? It's, yeah,
1: I think some of the actually some of the Reiner Canizia games are very accessible. Oh yeah, like modern art. Oh, I love modern art. Modern art is excellent. That breaks my brain how that, the the psychology behind those auctions work. But that's it's just auctioning, and that's why Medici is also a really well, good one. Well, not only that,
0: but yeah, Medici is is the same the same way. You know, he had Ra, Medici, and uh and modern art, all within a four-year span, mm-hmm. and they're like three classic, amazing auction games that are all mm-hmm. played very differently. I think Raw may play the best of of all of them over the long term. Yeah. But modern art—the cool thing about modern art—is you're not only playing a game; you're learning a lexicon of of bidding mechanics. And yes. every game for the next twenty years that had an auction mechanism, which is a good thing to have in games because it's self-balancing uses one of those four auction types, basically. Almost every single one does one of those.
1: I've also found a lot of success turning people on with Survive, uh, which is actually a really great game, too. I I don't play it as much anymore, but there's more going on in that game than you would maybe even realize. And there's also like a really good social interactive
0: game i put that yeah yeah that in jaws i put into the same category of light games that are surprisingly they're very involving they they pull you into it and they have enough strategic depth that you're not just you're not just doing the experience but you're actually strategizing you're actually trying to make good great decisions
1: and you know like how you send your little guys into the into the rowboats and sort of the, the 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 meta on the table is super strong on that game so that one is i think survive is a great one Lords of Vegas have has also been a great game sort of to to pull people into the hobby. It's a dice checker with
0: strategy, right
1: It's just very very fun. I was able to play that one. I played that one with my my brother and my nephew uh and I think I think did my sister in law play I think she did too. They not, they're not they not huge gamers. Mm-hmm. I, they do have Catan. I got them Catan, and good. I actually got them Ticket to Ride, too. But Ticket to Ride, Ticket to Ride is good. I don't think it's as essential as Catan. I agree. It's, it's a nice game. Splendor.
0: Splendor's a good one. Splendor, for me, is is one of those games that it's shorter than, than Catan. It's shorter than all of those things. And I think the rules explanation, like you said, Catan, surprisingly, yeah. even though you can get into it, it does have a little bit of a rules explanation. I can start people playing Splendor in five minutes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yet, once they get a game under their belt, they usually want to play it again. Mm-hmm. And when they play it the second time, they're already adopting strategy. They're already... It's kind of a self-evolving strategy that they quickly, quickly see. And you can move from that, from the you're collecting resources, you're spending those resources for things that give you victory points. It, mm-hmm. it, it It's... Yeah, that's kind of the way I try to think about it. I try to think about it: what what game mechanisms am I teaching in this game? Yeah how how easy it is to teach, and how many of these things that you've learned can be parlayed into the next?
1: Exactly. And I think actually, with just to go back to Ticket for Ride for a moment, there's a reprint of a game that came out about 15 years ago uh, called On the Underground, which uh, we played here yep. uh, a few yep. weeks ago. Some i played it. It's um, you know what it's actually excellent. I, it's actually I think that if you if you have access to that and you have a choice between that and ticket to ride, get on the underground. I think it's as gateway y and it can, the game can be as light or as heavy as you want it. Like you can do, it could just be a, a light game of laying. You just lay rails. You're basically making subways in mm. London or Berlin. It's a great board
0: presence, which, by it the way, which, which for new gamers is an important thing. The way a game looks is a really important thing for for mm-hmm. people that you want to bring into the hobby. And it looks gorgeous. There are the these little wooden miniatures that are that are the sites of London and all that. Yeah, it's and um,
1: it's. At first blush, the first time I played it, I thought this is nice, sort of a simplistic game. But every time I play it, there's like more and more strategy that reveals itself. And on top of that, it uh, uh, it's just um, I keep thinking about it. I'm like, ooh, I want to play it again. And this time, I want to try this kind of rail network. I think that would be a great way to get people into the game. Um, Also, K2 is a great game to teach people about hand management. Never played it.
0: (gasps) Never. I'm bringing it next.
1: I'm bringing it. It is so. Fun. It is not the you know. It's not the heaviest game, but it is fun and it is thematic. And um, especially if you, if to anyone listening, if you have the game or if you're going to play the game, I highly, highly, highly recommend. Before you send your little climbers up the mountain, name your climbers. I always name them after celebrities, <laughs> and that way you you can re- you refer to them as that. And that also, it's things like that can make a game really come to life, especially for new gamers. But K two. Do you know how it plays at all? Yes. I know okay. the I
0: know the mechanism of it. Yes.
1: But basically that's a way to, that's a game that teaches you about how you control what, what cards to play when. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, it's great. And I, I actually have the the newest expansion, which is so brutal, one of my climbers really rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> it did not do well.
0: Um, For some reason, it brings up Cartagena to me, which is a game. I haven't played that. It's a very, you know, it's it's not the easiest game to to find. I I, I found it in Cologne, Germany, Mm -hmm. um, like a decade ago. And I brought it out very recently for a group of almost non-gamers. And they instantly were fascinated by it. It's just a very interesting card management game in which you're trying to get your climbers up. In this case, you're trying to tunnel to, you know, you're trying to jailbreak out to the boat. But it it has a a little bit of a similar feel, maybe a little bit um, more streamlined, a little little cleaner. But I was shocked because I haven't played it in a long, long time. And I'm like, oh, darn, this game holds up so well. That's good. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think at the end of the day, you just want to have a game where you know that you're going to have a really warm, fun social experience because yes, I think that is really what what will what what has drawn people in. I've I've I feel like I've really sort of brought in a lot of my friends into board gaming, and um and at the end of the day, regardless of the game that you play, you want it to you want it, It's a it's a great excuse to get people together and. Um, I mean, I used to go out to bars all the time mm-hmm. and I've, I've discovered that I really enjoy I, rather than like getting drunk at a bar, I'd much rather get drunk playing a <laughs> board game with friends, you know, sort of like, it's much more chill, much more relaxed. Totally. And, um, it's, it's not just some crazy nerdy endeavor. It's actually a great way to bring people together and, 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 and
0: learn more about them too. Many and I met playing Battlestar Galactica. His, we, really? have, we have the same manager and he uh, the manager called me up and said, yeah, my, uh, Matt Robinson, you know who he is. I said, yeah, I know who he is. He said, he's got this, you're into board games, right? He's got this board game that he wants to play. And you know, Maddie, <laughs> he read the rules and he was like, wow, this is really deep. And he's like, I think I can do it. But um, I got the call and said, "Would you come over? Do you know this game?" I said, "Yeah, I play it all the time." W- would you come over and will you, uh, you know, teach it and ju- you know play? And I was like, "Sure, yeah." So I go over, and meet Matt. We we play that game, and instantly, his game brain just went on like full active. He's all in. Mm-hmm. He comes to my game night the very next week, and I play Indonesia. Wow! <laughs> it was too far. <laughs> it was it was it was way. I just I I wanted to say this because you're talking about changing people's minds about games. Um I horrible judgment. I, I saw the excitement. I saw I saw the fact that in no time at all he's gonna be ready for Indonesia and thought for the second game he ever played. Indonesia was right, but Battlestar Galactica at its time was perfect for getting people into the hobby Mm -hmm. because that social interaction is just full-on where, you're a Cylon! No, you're a Cylon! Don't listen to him! Oh, my God, it's him! It's him!
1: And you know what? For me, my my experience, I've actually never played Battlestar Galactica, but Dead of Winter was that for me. Yes. Dead of Winter, I brought a lot of people who don't normally play games they started playing games because of that, and or or they just at least asked to play it. I mean, some of my fondest memories are with Dead of Winter. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it's not it's not like a, it's not like a deep heavy euro, but it is socially is just through the roof. I've never had a play of that game that
0: was not totally memorable. Totally agree. Well, actually, that. Relates to some of our board game Somalias, or at oh, least perfect. one of our board game Somalies. Do you mind if we uh, jump over there? Oh, no, perfect. Here we go. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with, Mama, Madame, Abu. You got to tell me, Monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far with my 50th player of a A million games, show me the way to the master, the game Somalias. All right. Uh, We're running low on time, but I think we'll try and do two of these if we can. Yeah, we can. First one comes from Lachlan Krauts. Lachlan Krauts. Wow. Could be American. Could be Irish. Could could be be German. Could be
1: a company that could be that specializes in you know <laughs> building airlines i don't know
0: blood sausages yeah <laughs> lachlan Krauts wrote i am interested in 18xx and want to dive right in god bless you sir uh i bought 18xx i'm a p- preparing a group to play it by the way that's the proper explanation not i'm preparing the game i'm preparing a group to yes. play it if all goes well I'll pick up another title in the genre. However, I'm frustrated that recommendations for newcomers seem to always be the softest, most forgiving, or least complex titles in the series. For me, if the genre is appealing, I want to try the one that is the most itself, not the least. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm prepared to squeeze. So which 18xx tiles have the most juice? Wow. All right. Great Great question, Lachlan. That is exactly what we love to hear. That's that, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, ben, have you? What, what's your experience? Well, my experience, Tom. So, thank you so much for asking.
1: <laughs> um, I am much like Lachlan as well. I, because of you guys, I have now become very interested in 18XX. Also, because I have um, City of the Big Shoulders, which I love, and which yes. sort of gives sort of gave me a little flavor of it. And so um It is a
0: gateway into the 18 xx world. Is
1: for real. And actually it was very helpful having played that, playing my first 18X, which I did play with you. You uh, at Strategic Con, we played uh eighteen well but uh, by play we sort of experienced some rounds. We
0: played half of a game of eighteen two-thirds of a game of 1862. Two thirds? Was it two-thirds? I think we were pretty far along actually we, well, by the we, time we, we broke. Oh. Well, either way, we played it um
1: uh we played eighteen sixty-two. Which actually I really enjoyed, but um we there were some there were some rules teaching issues and
0: I messed up. <laughs> I flat out it's messed like, up.
1: It was uh, like a major mess up where like, you know, in the beginning I was like, you know what, it's fine, it's a learning game, it's a learning game. But one thing happened where like it was a combination of that, that like I had no money because of the because of the teaching error. I had no because money Because I biffed it. And I didn't realize how like I didn't realize how detrimental the way I built my tracks were. Mm -hmm. I put myself in a corner and then like my, I had one, I had like one saving grace and then Jennifer put down a tile and it like, it like blocked me. And I was like, it was so crazy how I went just like, I was like, I have to, I have to walk away right now. <laughs> you did. You
0: did. You had a. You
1: had a. You had a moment. I was so chill, and then all of a sudden, it was the. We- I've never had that happen in a game before. But you know what? Though I really, i really liked it, and I want to play it some more. So I liked 1862, and I think that I'm sure Lachlan would like it too with the proper rules. I, tutorial. I
0: I think that's true. Um, so I'm not the world's expert at, at this particular topic, but I I'll tell you what I know, Lachlan. I know that the game that is currently considered by most people that that I'm aware really know their stuff. They say that 1822 is the best current 18xx game. It is long. It has a ton of auctions in it. It is deep as heck. It is supposed to be the, 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 the best combination of everything 18XX can be. 18 X 1822, however, is super, super hard to find. Virtually impossible to find. So finding it for your collection might be a trick. However, in the meantime, I will tell you that you can play it on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, that's, that's right. How about that? How about that? Um... 1830, which you're already getting set up to play, has been played for decades now and continues to be played. It has stood the test of time and is still an amazing 18xx. If you want to do something a little bit shorter, there's a one that takes place in Japan called 1889. Very much 1830. It's still 1830. Just plays in a more manageable amount of time. It's got uh, a tougher terrain, so more terrain costs and more, more issues with regard to that. 1862, Ben just mentioned it. I think is a phenomenal game because um, four four companies never play in each game and each game, it's randomly determined which ones come up. And because the type of company each company is, is randomly determined. Every setup is way more different than any other 18xx game. Most 18xx games, when you start the game, it starts roughly similar to every other 18xx game you play. And it's just how you play that particular scenario. In 1862, uh, there's a tremendous amount of variability. And when you start playing the game, each one is going to have a, a, a different best strategies, different uh, all sorts of different calculations that have to happen each time, which is great. Um, if you want maximum juice, even maximum. with a hard squeeze, wow. I have to say 1849, uh, the Sicilian Railways. The year of Revolution. It's brutal. Wow. It is brutal. It is there. There are a couple things about it. First of all, it is a hex-based rail movement game, um, which is what your freight rails were. Yes, that that's game.
1: right. Yes, that is exactly. I, I feel. I feel. I feel heard
0: and seen. <laughs> <laughs> in a an in 18 xx that's a rarity. Uh, generally, it's not. It's generally station to station, city to city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, hex space is different. The second thing, there is narrow gauge and wide gauge rails, and a train that travel uh, trains cannot travel on both. So there's a logistics thing. Um, It is a brutal economic game because everything is hills and mountains and tunneling and digging and all that sort of stuff to, to get things working. And then the last thing that's really tricky about it is randomly the companies are put out from left to right and that is the order in which they must be floated. Oh. So you cannot choose what company. If you want to start a company, you're going to start the leftmost company, and that's what you're going to I'm do. I'm not
1: mad at that, actually, because I feel like there's a lot of time that's spent on which company this, which company that. And if you are not familiar with the game, this was my experience with 1862, because mm-hmm. you spend a lot of time hemming and hawing, and then you have to have someone say, well, this is good for this and that, or da, 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 da. Sometimes the, there may be something to be said about just saying, hey, this is the company, okay? Also, I, <laughs> I, I, I also would like to say that... Um, in terms of starting your first 18XX, mm-hmm. I think that there's also some value in maybe starting with one that has um, more board game media associated with it. And I say this because you you are a very good teacher of games, Tom. And um, despite your 1862 despite, experience, despite, <laughs> despite that, but that but that experience did show that even you, as being someone who's always on top of rules, who always is like very sharp about this stuff even you got tripped up with it. Yeah. So why not like, why not go with a game that has a lot of media where there's a lot of maybe playthroughs or, or sure. how to plays just that way you can get that stuff, like really get it down pat so that way you can teach a group and you guys can have the best playthrough yeah. and then we have the best experience because that, and that's what we're talking about with all this stuff. You want to have the best experience and the most fun. And then from there, then you can start diving into ones that are more 18 XX ish or whatever, but, but just try to have a, a, a good experience. That way you'll have more experiences.
0: Lachlan couldn't say it better. That's the best advice we can give you. And you're in the right spot. 1830 has got a ton of information. Yeah. You can learn everything you need to know about it. And it is a game in which the juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Play that for a while. And when you're ready to jump into something else, the ones that are available right now, uh, I would say, are 1862 and 1849, as far as the games that have a lot of depth and a lot of play uh, left in them. Though really, even the most mild 18XX games, for the most part, have a lot of plays in them. The the, mm-hmm. the, the least deep 18XX game is a pretty deep game with a lot of replay. one more here we go yes james bryant says my wife and i really enjoy competitive strategy board games we play a lot of scythe terraforming mars and wingspan however i feel like we're missing out on social interaction this is what we were just talking about yes could you recommend some competitive games that are great with two players and have a fair amount of social interaction thanks thank you james let's see what we've got my first thing let's go one-to-one I feel like I know what your first thing. To me, there's one extremely obvious one. what well, say it. You you go first. Twilight Struggle, I imagine. Yes, Twilight, Twilight Struggle has a lot of social interaction, but and stress. It's one of those things that it only has social interaction if you socially interact. Any one of these mm-hmm. games, most of these games, you can be quiet, heads down, and do it that yes. way. You have to choose to play out loud.
1: Yeah, and I think that's actually a very important uh point w- one of the reasons also why i think it's good to sort of to just go back to changing people's minds i am always trying to get friends into gaming because if we're going to be gaming chances are regardless of the game we're going to be laughing and having a really fun time yeah and um so even the most multiplayer solitaire game there still will be a lot of banter around the table sure so in some ways social interaction is how much you're going to you're willing to do but there are some games that are more there there is more s- more situations where you have to interact with the other player and you have to say things to them, you know? And totally. so I chose I mean I chose a bunch because I can't control myself, but I'm gonna highlight two that are off the beaten path. Good, good, that good. That are good, not good. the typical ones. Hit okay. It. The first one I'm gonna suggest is Key to the City. Key to the Okay. Key okay. to the city All London. Right. Um, you you probably could also do just as well with Keyflower. I actually like Key to the City London a little bit more. Interesting. I know I'm like in the vast minority on this, but it's basically takes a lot of the fundamentals of Keyflower, but it's a little bit more streamlined. And I and again, I also just really like this this London theme, and you can build little buildings on it. You're just a London file, aren't you? I've become one, I guess. I watched on, Great on British Bake Off. I watched I watched Love Island UK. I mean, this is my life. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to mug me off. So. The the reason why I'm mentioning this one is because there is a lot of um, there's a lot of bidding. There's sort of an auction element to it. And I played Key to the City two player once, and it was great. It really worked out really nicely as a two player game. It was very tense, cracking, cracking. We were cracking off. Yes. So uh, yeah, I said that's that's one of mine. Uh, but I'll let you go for your next one before I feel uh, my well, second one because I haven't even
0: had one. I know. And I know. Said two now. I know. Let's well, see. I took that's over. For- I took over. Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective. It's in the top 100. It is, it is the predecessor to all uh, deduction games. You ba- Basically, when you get the game, you've got a newspaper to read. You've got a map. You've got all sorts of locations. You've got clues. And you and your wife are working together to solve uh, a crime that the great Sherlock Holmes is also trying to solve. You will never beat him. You will never beat Sherlock mm. Holmes. Don't play it that way. Play it to work together to solve these clues. Very interactive, very fun. I will also say that other games like that, Detective by Ignatius Cevicek Mm -hmm. plays great. It's sort of a modern version of this same idea where you're telling a story together by investigating a case. And the great thing about uh, Detective is... You're writing on legal pads. We have a we have a we had a whiteboard that was just full of diagrams uh-huh. and lines going from this suspect to that suspect. I think that might be a really, really fun game for for you and your wife to play. Yeah.
1: So my second
0: one, mm-hmm. this
1: is a real this is probably can be very unexpected, but Um, Jesse, one of the co-hosts of this podcast, Jesse is the one who also brought me into your whole group. So, oh, a lot to Jesse on this, but, um, Jesse and I, we, uh, we get together most Mondays and we play usually just two player games. Sometimes we'll have a third with us. Um, and over the summer, a game that we, we played a, a few times and was really great as a two player experience as a very interactive, very tense, very thoughtful. Like, I mean, I think it's actually an excellent, excellent game that is totally underrated Tragedy Looper. Have you played Tragedy Looper?
0: I have it right in there. It is I have It, right it in is there.
1: actually like a, a brilliant game that has unfortunately been I feel like it's it's um, undermined by component issues, which is too bad. Like a dark board and things that are hard to read, and,
0: you and know, lots, lots of little chits that have to go places. And yeah, it, it, the Japanese anime of it and the the, the the Japaneseness of it. What it really is, when it comes right down to, is somewhere between Groundhog Day and Quantum Leap. You're, yeah, you're going, but yeah. you're going back in time and trying to stop something horrible, but you don't know what that horrible thing is yet, and the f- <laughs> And you have basically <laughs> yes. three go three tries to go back and figure that out, like figure out what's going on, who is the cause of it and stop it from happening. Yeah,
1: it's it's sort of a bear to to learn and to teach. If if you can find some good um, playthroughs online, that will really help. Or if you know someone who's mm-hmm. played it, that really helps, too. But once once you figure it out, once it clicks, it's ac- it's it's a truly brilliant game. I think it's actually, um, it's, it's a one of a kind game. There's no other games that are like it, truly. That's why I have it. Yeah. And it's, um, it creates such tense, fascinating moments. And there will be moments, of, if you're playing two player, there'll be moments of silence where you're just sitting and looking at your notes. But there's, there's a lot of, like trying to get into the other person's head. Like, I think that they're going to do this. Or there's there's going to be this. So maybe it might not be the most um, verbal game. With sure. two players, but interactive in terms of trying to know what they're doing.
0: Yes. Yeah, that, that's a kind of social interaction too. I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, my next one, Letters from Whitechapel. Ooh. This is in the school of... Um, basically, there was a game called uh, Scotland Yard, and that mm-hmm. was the first one of this. One person plays the... In Scotland Yard, one person plays Mr. X, and he's trying to escape a police dragnet. The other person or persons control four... Um, coppers for detectives that are going to locations and trying to find uh, the bad guy, and the bad guy is moving hidden movement and writes his things on a on a pad of paper that 's hidden, and all we get to see is what form of transport he took. Did he take mm-hmm. the bus? Did he take the tube because it 's london yeah, you see it 's in London the underground it is a little bit in the underground. Or he takes a taxi. And so you can sort of try to triangulate that sort of stuff. And every once in a while, he's got a surface. And we know where he is there. And then we're back, the dragnet's back on. Letters us Whitechapel is very much in the same thing. Tremendously socially interactive if it if you're doing it as a, a two-player thing. One person mm-hmm. is Jack the Ripper. The rest are the Metropolitan or the Scotland Yard that are trying to, which, by the way, both were in, involved in the Jack the Ripper cases. Well, how about that? Two different police departments. Wow. Um, uh, in, in trying to in trying to stop him so yeah uh, games that are uh, i'm trying to figure out where you are and what you're doing and mm-hmm. you're cackling with glee because i've uh, i've totally missed missed you know I, i've fallen for your ruse your mm-hmm. faint are great for that
1: i think any game where you're trying to deduct what the next person is going to be doing will create social interaction and, and any game that has a good sort of auction bidding system that can be that can be well implemented for two players will also just naturally create an yes. interaction great yes. Zimbabwe also might be a might be I played that two player that's been great. I happen
0: to have a couple uh a couple of splatter games that are on here. oh roads and boats <gasps> is a wonderful social interaction. Story. oh my goodness <laughs> I can't wait to play that. It, it It is a game that you can play cooperatively or competitively. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You can be as cooperative as you want to in the game. Wow. Because if you are sharing resources, you guys can actually oh, yeah. get much higher scores. The only problem is, is that at any point, someone can decide to stop being cooperative and start being competitive. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> to, to sort of uh, real-world it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it. It's, you know, and, and competitively... The thing is, is that you're building all these things that you're building a sawmill that is going to turn logs into boards. You're building a mine that is going to be mining stones or mining gold. Anything, even though you made that thing, it is not yours. No, the stuff that's coming out of the earth, the boards that have been cut, no. they are not yours. No, the only thing that's yours is things that are on your specific transports, on mm-hmm. your donkey, on your wagon, on your raft. Anything else is fair game. Yeah. So when a, the game gets competitive, you start spending half of your resources building walls, building barriers from on the roads and on the waterways, and trying to stop people from coming into your territory and taking all the things. Um, I, I, found the most delicious and wonderful, uh, um, social interactions in that game and it plays wonderfully at two players.
1: Oh, that's, I'm so glad to hear that because I'll just say this real quickly. Last month, uh, we were doing a show in, in the middle of Kansas in Lawrence, <laughs> Kansas, and my hotel was next to a board game shop. So I didn't even realize it was a board game shop. I just walked outside and was like, "Oh, there's a board game shop next door." So I went upstairs and they had this amazing selection. One of the best board games I ever went to, and there in the middle was Roads and Boats. And I was like,
0: "Should <laughs> sure I get Halo this? around it?"
1: It was, and I was like, "You know I, know, I know this is sort of like a grail game, and I know that this is also really expensive, and I'm not I'm not even sure it could fit into my luggage." And I thought about it. I went back to the hotel and I watched some videos and like read some things like, should I get this? I think I should get this. And I even posted it on the Facebook page for game brain. And I was like, should I get this? And everyone's like, get it. And, so and a then minute
0: later, my response was, you were like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can fit it in my luggage. And my response was in all caps, buy it a freaking seat on the plane. <laughs> I know <laughs> I bought it. It just barely fit my bag.
1: Like <laughs> I remember a that carry on bag. I mean, it fit like all the way to the edges. So I'm so excited to play it. I feel like I, I, it, was, it was fate. Any other, any other games you recommend? um you know uh, i had one in my mind and it just slipped okay. away i will say that <laughs> s- s- since you just railways bought- of the world
0: oh there you go railways of the world uh, i will also say pandemic legacy really tremendously it's tremendously socially interactive because first of all you're working together that's true any cooperative to, to game do this. but in addition as the game changes over time it's it's you you guys are participating in a story and it's a great that's journey nice. that you yeah. guys can take together that's all we got. That's all we got time for. We're we are running really, really long. But Sorry, we had, I'm a talker. No, we, we had an intro. We had to get to know Ben. Yeah. And ben, you are uh, you are such a joy to have. We, well, are, we are glad to be able to game with you each week, and we are super glad that you are on the podcast with us.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this has been a joy, a joy
0: and a delight. You have been listening to Game Brain. Let's talk uh, about places that you can get to us. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little tricky going forward from here. We're gonna try and mostly game online so that we can keep these uh, these episodes coming. We should be able to do so with very limited interruption. Uh, but if we don't, then just uh, please bear with us. Uh, this is a, a difficult time for everybody. The problems that are going on in the world are so much bigger than our podcasts. But mm-hmm. we're gonna do our very best. To, uh, to have an episode a week for you. After all, some of us are going to have a lot of time on our hands. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash C forward slash GameBrainPod. We have a Facebook group that Ben was just talking about. It's really heating up. we got a lot of fun stuff going on the Facebook group right now. If you haven't joined, consider joining. We have a Discord channel, and please get in those board game sommelier questions. I think we only have one or two in the hopper now. You have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred. Stay safe, Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainpod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening, and go play some games with friends virtually or go make some friends with games.